songs that we had to had to remember and i could not <laughs> they had a funny thing they would the one of the guys that was more experienced at it he said if you don't know the words don't mouth it while facing the audience because they'll know that you're mouthing it he said if you you're, if you forget the words turn to someone and mouth it in that way the audience won't be able to read your lips and see you don't know what you're doing so i spent a lot of time looking at my uh you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah grant how, how soon do you want to hit on air here we're getting pretty close to time i am actually just push the button just making sure everything looks good and it looks good so i'm ready to go when you guys are hey fire up when ready all right Ready, three, two, one. That's some echo from somebody playing it locally. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tangent Computer. No, we can't live hear the on YouTube and Roku, available as a podcast and enjoyed the world over. And now, here's your host. What is that? Hello, this is Grant Leedy. I'm filling in today for Stevie Stroh. We have a good show here for everybody, and uh, it's going to be a hit because I'm on the show today, not Stevie. And Curtis is also co-hosting as well, so that even makes it double better. <laughs> yeah. How's I'm it going, everybody? I'm a little bit more modest than Grant, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We have a, a couple of uh, guests here today, which we'll get to here shortly. But uh, I'm going to send it over to Curtis here and let him uh, take it from there. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, special treat today. We have uh, Frank Hogg of Frank Hogg Laboratories. Uh, and now, I don't know, what did you call yourself? A wanderer, digital nomad? <laughs> um, basically, he has no home. He just wanders around in the camper all, all year. <laughs> Living the free lifestyle. So, and he's had a, a long history with computers, a long history with the Coco, a long history with OS9 and Flex, and we'll get into that during his interview. And we also have a, a new guest here, Terry Trapp. So, um, we'll probably well, we'll save the long introduction for Frank when we actually get to his segment. But I thought maybe we'd just uh, talk to Terry first and see how are you involved with the Coco? How did you get into computers and the Coco itself? And uh, what are you up to these days? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I've uh, been a Cocoa user since I was 10 years old. Got one for Christmas like uh, a lot of kids uh, my age did. Um, so went uh, with the 16K Cocoa 1 to uh, 64K Cocoa 2. And eventually, I think in 87, I got the, uh, the Cocoa 3. Uh, around uh, 1990, I was able to earn my own money and buy things <laughs> for it. Yeah, you know, get the, get the upgrade to 512. Got real interested in OS 9. Um, I had um, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, I had a, a friend that was really into OS 9. Some of you guys may know him, uh, Trix Ferrer. Uh, he did a little bit of uh, stuff with OS 9 uh, back then, and uh, so he helped me out a lot with that. Basically. Uh, uh, that's how I got my start uh, in the computer industry, still uh, doing systems work. Uh, now I'm a manager. I don't get to push a lot of buttons these days. Um, so I built a new garage out here uh, or a, a place inside my garage so I can work on some of this stuff. So I've got two dead Cocos that uh, that needed some love. And uh, last night I live streamed uh, a cap replacement on one of them. And uh, 
it uh, it turned out really great. You know, was able to uh, identify that definitely it was a problem with the caps, and uh, you know, did uh, did a cap replacement. Michael Kent uh, provides a cap kit on eBay. Was able to pull all the caps out, put the new ones on, turn it on. Man, worked great. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty much uh, the the Coco three and OS nine is is where I got my start. Cool. Do you have a Coco three now or just Coco one and twos? Uh, I, I have two Coco 3s. I have um, the Coco 3 that, that uh, I got in 1987, and that thing looks like uh, it's been through a battle. Uh, part <laughs> of the, uh, For some reason, I, I cut part of the top of it off and put a fan on there to try and keep the RAM cool. I don't know why. Uh, and so it ru- ruined the case on that one. Uh, one of the projects I, that I'm going to be working on is uh, I want to get that. – that's the one that I was not able to repair – uh, I've got uh, another cap kit coming for it. It obviously has some some problems, and it appears that it, it has issues on both the uh, uh, the uh, positive and negative side of the uh, uh, the power supply on it. So uh, I'm gonna take the board out of that thing. I want to do uh, what I've always wanted to do with with a Coco is you know put it in a PC case. Uh, way back in the day, I'm, uh, it's really cool that Frank Hogg is is on this uh, uh, Coco talk uh, because. Uh, big fan and uh i i wanted a tc9 so bad i mean it, it, it was one of those things to where i i get the money together and it's like uh frank's not selling those anymore it's like oh you know very <laughs> very disappointed in that but i understand the uh uh all of the difficulties uh with that particular machine trying to to, to make that work you know whenever you've got one supply of gimme chips it's uh not uh uh you know you're you're, you're at someone else's uh uh, um, mercy. You know, yeah. Yeah. Mercy yeah. on that. Um, but, um, so I'm going to take this guy, I'm going to, I'm going to put him in a PC case. Um, I'm going to, uh, do a little work with, um, uh, a, uh, a microcontroller called a parallax propeller. Uh, they actually have a new one that's coming out and I've got an evaluation board coming and, uh, this thing has like 64 pins on it. And basically it's just built as a data pump. And uh, I'm going to see what soft peripherals I can make uh, with that. Try to, you know, do a 6551 emulation. Try to do a drive controller emulation. Uh, the, the the key project that I want to do, and I've never seen it done. I don't know why it hasn't been done. I'll probably figure out why it hasn't been done because there's a lot of people out there much smarter than me. Uh, want to uh, plug an AT keyboard into that thing uh, and have it, essentially uh, seize control of the PIA whenever whenever it pulls the PIA and deliver characters that are typed into a PC keyboard without having to, uh, you know, do any of the things you would do, like with the Cloud9 product and all of that, uh, so that you don't have to solder anything. You just plug it in as a, this whole thing in as a cartridge. It has a USB port, plug in your USB keyboard, and, and you know, you'll have, you know, remote keyboard and uh, all of your other soft peripherals, so... Uh, that's the plan. We'll, we'll see how that plays out over the next few months. Well, definitely keep us up to date on that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Hey, how, um, did you ever follow us? Or, you know, um, how did you find? Oh, uh, I, I've been on um, I've been on the uh, uh, TRS-80 uh, Color Computer Cocoa Group on Facebook for, for quite a while. Quite a while. Uh, uh, I followed uh, quite a bit of your stuff, Ron. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, familiar with a, a lot of the stuff that's that's going on, you know, uh, out there. It's amazing to me that you know all these years later, 
there are so many people involved with the color computer and it's just fun. I mean, it's just yeah. great. All the things that people are doing and it, you know, the, uh, um, the technology that we have now makes it very easy to do all kinds of hardware hacking and, and just really cool stuff with these old machines. And it's, it's amazing to think how, you know, looking at it now, how simple all of that stuff was uh, when you're 10 years old, it's all magic. You know, yeah, it sure yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea yeah. how this thing works, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, luckily, uh, you know, I, I had a friend that was able to pull some of that magic back and uh, uh, show me how, um, you know, what, what the boot process is. I had no idea. You know, you turn it on, you had no idea that the, the processor would jump to a specific place in memory and start executing instructions. That, you know, that was just beyond my comprehension. And um, so uh, going through and learning OS 9, uh, coming from that background, it applies to everything, every machine, you know, er every machine you deal with, you know, whether it be a Mac or it be a PC or, you know, a Spark, all of it operates when you get down to that fundamental level the same way whenever you power it up. From there, you can just work your way up the stack and understand how all of it works. Cool. Cool. I see we have a few other people that have joined us, too, on the, on the call. So welcome to Steve and Jason and John. Anybody else I can't see on the screen at the moment? Yeah, Coco, <laughs> man, you look in your review mirror. You got a cop behind you. <laughs> yeah, you well you kind of started the show early. We're just starting about 10 minutes late. <laughs> well, that's cuz Stevie's not here. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I know it's uh Frank has a hard out at 4, so and I have no idea how long this interview could last cuz he's lived a very entertaining life as you can see from his books and stuff which we'll discuss later. But uh I want to hit the interview with that there, so uh, without further ado, welcome to Frank Hogg who is currently in Florida. Um, for the winter, I guess. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know how I'll give a very brief introduction. Um, Bill Noble and I actually did some work for Frank when he was doing the TC9 project in the early 90s. Um, I think it was Bruce Eisted did the first version of the TC9 drivers along with Bob Puppel, if I remember correctly. And then Bruce was getting too busy with his, his quote unquote real job. And he actually had moved from Calgary to Regina, which is only a couple hours from where I live and was helping them open a branch office. And um, we kind of worked out the details that Bill and I would take over the software development for the drivers. So Bill and I drove down and, and visited with Bruce for an afternoon and got all the software and the comments and talked to Bruce and kind of went through some things. And then we took it back home and that's where we started doing that. We also accidentally got some of the famous level two version three upgrade before it became public. Because uh, Bruce, of course, was one of the developers on that. He included some, but not all of the uh, components of the up for upgrade, which Bill and I noticed immediately after we got back home <laughs> and booted it up. So um, might, might go into some details on that too, because Frank was actually one of the hardware vendors that uh, was involved in the level two upgrade, uh, you know, making sure everything was compliant with the, where Kevin Darling and Kent Myers, and the rest were taking the software. But uh, I will now turn it over to Frank. Um, a little, maybe a little bit of early history about yourself and how you got into computers and uh, how you got into the Coco and, and what all you did, et cetera. So take it away, Frank. Okay, uh, I'll be glad to tell you that. In 1976, uh, I bought my first computer, which was a engineering board called the Chem One, K-I-M. I forget what that stood for, but it was a little single board computer. It had 1K of RAM and 2K of ROM. My neighbor, Tom Spear, was a uh, computer guy for the Syracuse utility called Niagara Mohawk, and he had a uh, Southwest Tech S50 bus computer and those were kits and so i bought uh, 
one of those and put that together. And, you know, that's uh, got him to flex uh, with that. And we were all, Dale Puckett uh, at that time was going to Syracuse University. Uh, he was in the Coast Guard and they were sending him to photo school, like, you know, learn photojournalism. And um, he was doing a, he did a software program that I believe was called Read Test. And Tom, my neighbor, did something we called remote, which was, uh, you know, something to do uh, uh, using a telephone, you know, to communicate. And I was buying all these computers and, and uh, uh, I had two or three S50 bus computers and I was deducting them on my income taxes, business expenses, and <laughs> got a little nervous about that after a while. So I said to Dale and Tom, I said, why don't I start a business? I'll sell your software and pay you a royalty. And uh, that way I can uh, legitimately deduct all of these toys. I mean, these uh, pieces of equipment. <laughs> so I did that. Now, this is back when you were still doing the dental lab thing? Or? Yeah, I had a, I had a dental laboratory and, and it was called Frank Hawk Dental Laboratory. I did, had not incorporated at that point. And um, so we were doing that. Uh, Radio Shack announced they were going to do the color computer with a 6809, and we were all doing 6809 stuff with these SS50 bus computers. So we were—I was kind of excited. I said, "Well, if they're getting into it, you know, there might be some, might be a market for uh, what we had." But the, the initial one, you couldn't do anything with. You know, it—it um, it would only go up to 32K. We needed 64 to run Flex. So it was kind of, you know, I bought one and it kind of just languished there for a while. Um, when they came out with the, I don't remember the model number, Coco 2 maybe, the one that had 32K. Um, my nephew, Rich Hogg, he was a software guy working for Bell Labs at the time. And uh, he discovered that uh, by adding four wires, there was some you know, something on one of the chips that you could, access all 64k if uh if the memory was good and i thought oh cool you know and so he wrote an article about it but because he was working for bell labs we we put it out under my name uh called 64k for free and um i figured oh great you know now i can sell flex the operating system so i went down to tsc um they were in the tri-cities area um Visited them, talked about getting a, a license for Flex. They wanted 12 grand for a exclusive license. And I told them, I said, no, I don't think I'm going to sell very many copies of this. I don't want an exclusive license. So I didn't, who knew? You know, I didn't for sure. So I bought a non-exclusive license for six grand. And I worried that I'd ever get my money back on it. You know, I thought, oh, geez, I don't know if I'm going to get my money back on this or not. And um, when the article came out, and if I recall correctly, it came out in Rainbow and in um, the color computer man, news, color computer news, yeah. Bill Size, yeah. Bill Size, uh, yeah. Um, we had a we had just one line, uh, telephone line, because dental laboratory didn't need much. I had about six employees, and Helene Hayes. It's actually spelled Helen Hayes, but she didn't want to be called Helen Hayes. It was Helene Hayes. <laughs> um, she was taking the calls and. She never took her hand off the cradle. Uh, as soon as she put the phone back down, it would ring again. And it was someone ordering a copy of Flex and some other software. 
and everybody wanted to buy uh, RAM chips because part of the 64K for free article was a little basic program that would tell you if your RAM was bad. Uh, of course, I didn't have any RAM chips. I could have, you know, I missed out on making quite a bit of money by not having those in stock. But uh, we were busy enough just making uh, software. We we made the manuals on a copier back then. Who actually wrote the Flex? That was done by Rich. Rich did Flex. Uh, he did OPAC for OS9. You know, remember, you may not know yep, about no, it. high-res uh, driver yeah. for the text screen. And and what's what's flex like? Is it somewhat like OS nine? You know what is no, it? No, no, it's a it's a single user uh, operating system. It's more like CPM. Yeah, CPM DOS. It uh, it was pretty basic. It was only four K, so it was uh, you know pretty easy to modify and write for. Um, I had the way it loaded. You would load the the initial part of it, and then it would load all these add-ons. So whenever we made a change to it, there was another add-on, and it got to the point where it wasn't fitting on the disk because we were putting that out on uh, for the 340K, 350K floppies. 153K. It's all 153 <laughs> Not very much. And, no. and the load was, uh, gosh, it was huge. So with all the other software that went out, they weren't fitting on, the, uh, on them anymore. So I spent a month uh, you know, re- I, well, I had to. I didn't have the source for Flex, so I had to disassemble it and then add the modifications in one at a time and check to see if, you know, I'd screwed something up. It took me about a month, and I got it back down to 4K. It loaded a lot faster, and then we had room on the floppy. So that was back when they were costing a dollar a piece, and that might not sound like a lot today, but we were selling a lot of them. So it, was, yeah, it, it amounted to some money, but it was mostly just because the software didn't fit on it. And I didn't want to have to send out two discs. Uh, Do you remember uh, what kind of people um, were buying it? Was it just from the United States or was it from Australia or anything? Or We had customers all over the world. Um, I don't remember now, you know, where it was from, but it was, it, there was a lot of people everywhere buying it. And uh, I, I couldn't even tell you how many copies we sold. It was in the thousands. And was it mostly business customers? Because I know you guys used to sell a lot of the quote-unquote business type software like Stylograph and yeah. Sculptor later on and that kind of stuff. So It was mostly guys like you. I It was what I didn't realize at the time because I wasn't keeping up with the color computer um, market. You know, I, just, I had one, but I wasn't paying much attention to it. And what I didn't realize when we came out with that uh, 64K for free was that all the people that had color computers were complaining about not having any software. There was, you know, I want to do something with this and there was nothing there, nothing to do anything. Yeah. So, well, that was the period where Tandy pretty much had kicked it out there and then left it. Yeah. And uh, so I come along and by then I had had quite a, uh, a reasonable catalog of software that went, that worked with flex beyond the two that Dale and, and, uh, my neighbor had written probably, I don't know, 20, 30 programs. So all of a sudden, everybody who was clamoring for more software, uh, by adding four wires to their color computer, they could run Flex and all this other software. And it was, uh, you know, a crying need, if you will. They, you know, they really, really wanted it. So um, it was... 
I equated that period of time. I felt like a leaf on the in a creek on the spring in the spring. You know, it was just being carried along uh, <laughs> without any real control over what was going on. You know, it was just <laughs> you know. And uh, people were calling up, you know, I've got this software and everything. They, you know, yeah, send it in. We'll sell it and give you a royalty on it. Uh, we had a lot of stuff in the catalog and a lot of stuff didn't sell. You know, it was just in the catalog and, you know, I was hiring more people all the time. I think they ended up with 12 or 13 or 14, mostly uh, girls and, uh, you know, taking orders and, uh, you know, putting the packages together and tripping it out. Um, it was a wild time. I tell you a funny story. The first copier had the the copier head when this first came out was just a simple little copier. The top moved back and forth. You know, I made copies, and it only had a thirty five hundred um, rate per month. That was all you're supposed to copy per month. And we had that thing going all day long. From the as soon as you came in in the morning, the copier started going. And after an hour or so, it would overheat and it would start wheezing. And then it, it, it <laughs> 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 the thing we did, we'd turn it off and, and the lid opened up, you know, like a, like the hood of a car. And you open the thing up and have <laughs> hand blowing on it. And after a while, 15 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, close it back up again until it started wheezing again, you know. <laughs> so I kept, uh, I kept buying bigger copiers that would do more and more stuff because back then you, printers weren't around that, uh, that you could get stuff printed on. Uh, you know, it was, it, that was part of the experience. Uh, in the early days of trying to get the manuals done and duplicating the discs, it, it just took a lot of time to do it. So, well, how different would it be if you were able to um, email people stuff? <laughs> it would have been different, huh? Well, the, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of things that were different back then. Um, people were expecting to get updates for free. You know, so if you came out with a new version of the software. People expected it for nothing. Well, it costs money to make a disc and send it out. Uh, you couldn't do it by email like you can now. You can't, couldn't download this stuff. Uh, and now updates are quite often, you know, I mean, you get free updates on a piece of software for a while, but after a while you have to buy a new one. So the revenue stream was limited to one shot where you sold them whatever they were going to buy the first time. And then, and then it was a, an expense from there on out. Um, things, you know, everybody learned their lesson. Uh, Adam Angst, if you remember, he had the, uh, Osborne one and I met him at one of the computer shows. He came out with the Osborne two, and then he made the mistake of announcing the Osborne executive and everybody stopped buying until the executive came out and he went out of business because he didn't, he ran out of money because his, he was using income coming in to pay for the development and so forth of this other computer. But nowadays, you know, if, uh, if Apple's coming out with something new uh, or other companies, they, they announce it, you can go buy it in the store. You know, it's not something that you have to wait two or three months to get. So, but these are all lessons that I hadn't learned and other people hadn't learned. So whenever we announced something that we were coming out with, you know, the revenue stream would, would dry up a bit until we got it out. That made things a little difficult to, to run as a business. So, and plus I, I'm not that good a businessman. You know, I'm a dental technician that plays around with computers like you guys, you know? So it was, <laughs> I just got, I was in the right place at the right time. You know, I was kind of like the, 
like the uh, third string uh, wide receiver, you know, that goes out and he just happens to run to the right part of the football field where the quarterback has thrown the ball, you know. And, and <laughs> yeah, but just think uh, Frank Hug um, Laboratories, you know, it looked so like, you know, there was a large building somewhere with smokestacks and, you know, <laughs> yes. you know? guys running around in lab coats. And- yeah. You look at your, your, your ads were done well. You know, they looked very um, stately or, you know, like. Uh, and yeah, you had a very large ad presence because I remember like in, in Color Computer News, you guys had five page ads regularly every month type thing with uh, yeah. software. And- that yeah. was the first magazine I subscribed to and it's like page after page of this stuff. Yeah. I think we had, I don't know, 15 or 20 pages total between all the magazines every month. I mean, they duplicated on on some. Uh, I didn't know that we didn't have to do that, but we had money coming in the door. So, well, why not? You know, uh, um, were there there some magazines you didn't, uh, advertise in like, um, color computer magazine or hot cocoa? Well, we advertise in hot cocoa. Um, as I recall, yeah, the one on the screen right now is actually the one from the first issue. Hot cocoa, the the color one grant. I don't think it wasn't, any we didn't advertise and i advertised in 80 micro uh matter of fact we advertised os9 level one for the color computer in 80 micro uh i had been called by uh kaplan about uh he was you know uh seeing all the success i was having with flex and he wanted to get os9 on the color computer so we made a gentleman's agreement, which is not something I would do again with him, uh, <laughs> that we would we would develop uh, OS9 and uh, sell it on the color computer. And Rich had it running when uh, Kaplan called me up and he says, you know, there's some uh, there's some problems there. You know, there's some things you don't. It's not going to be uh, possible for you to uh, to get that running. And besides, I've sold it to Tandy, so <laughs> I can't. Uh, uh, let you have it like we agreed, you know, and I was a little annoyed with him, but I thought, what the heck, if Tandy was selling OS9, I've got a lot of OS9 software that I'd sell, so I'll make out okay, but we actually had it running when he was telling us it wouldn't work. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember I remember you mentioned it, you had a column in Color Computer News, which I think you later took to Rainbow after CC unfolded, mm-hmm. called 64K Corner, which you started in, oh God, what was it, 80, late 81, early 82, somewhere in there? Oh wow! And, that's, and that's you were mentioning <laughs> you're you're mentioning that you were uh, porting OS nine over and and you were you were planning on having an official announcement and then you know the whole Tandy thing happened. Yeah, this uh, yeah. here that uh, Grant's bringing up now is actually one of your sixty four uh, K corner columns from was it February of eighty three, Grant? But uh, this yeah, this I believe, believe it was. This one was kind of interesting because, I mean, one one thing I, I know about you is that you've always been a very straight shooter and you don't um, pussyfoot around mentioning things. <laughs> is that a nice way of putting it? Um, yeah. But, yeah, you, you were talking in this particular column about a, uh, a teacher that was asking for advice that they wanted to get some recommendations of how to sell Cocos into schools versus getting Apple IIs and pets and that kind of stuff. And it, it kind of summarizes quite well your 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 attitude, <laughs> I guess. Oh, I don't remember it, but uh, <laughs> I didn't realize I should do my homework before I did this. Uh, well, I, I was just going to read not the whole article, but I'll read the one portion of it. Let me just bring it up here. Please do. <laughs> I'm prepared to be embarrassed. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> 
Okay, so this is like right in the middle of the article here. Um, and this one apparently you wrote uh, at December 22nd at midnight in your den. And you labeled the subject as desperate attempt to write 64K corner for February of 1983 because you were literally on the last day we were supposed to get it to Bill in order to make the magazine. <laughs> so, and, and you went, uh, that reminds me. Today I received a call from a fellow like many calls I've received in the past along this very line. It seems that this guy wanted to buy cocos for his school and he had opposition from other teachers that were pushing apples. He wanted to get some help in convincing his opponents that the Coco with 6809 was a better computer than the Apple. This happens in cases like these. The other fellows were sold on the Apple and didn't want to listen to what he had to say. This is one very hard nut to crack. Apple has been doing one heck of a job selling their computer. And <laughs> now my favorite part. The fact that it is based on old technology, runs three times slower, and costs several times more than the Coco doesn't seem to get through to proponents of the Apple. The only thing I can suggest <laughs> to say to people like this is, this if you want to spend three times as much money to buy a computer based on obsolete technology that runs three times slower is harder to program and upgrade then i have some swampland in florida that i think I'm, you may be interested in which coincidentally you're actually in right now what else can you do <laughs> those commercials can brainwash them if they don't watch out and it's impossible to talk to someone out of some or talk someone out of something once they've made up their mind the only thing you can do is plant a seed of doubt maybe they will take off the rose-colored glasses and compare the two computers most people like this just want you to agree with them. They don't want you to upset their apple cart, pun intended. And I would like to see everyone buy a Coco. It's not just for business reasons. The real reason is I'm getting tired of hearing the same old story from people who bought it. Apples, VIX, TIs, and others. They all say the same thing. Why didn't you tell me what the Coco could do? I wouldn't have bought this piece of junk. Well, what can I say? Sooner or later, they may all come around. Let's hope it's sooner. <laughs> Boy, that was a Great. brilliant piece of writing, wasn't it? Yeah. It was good. <laughs> I remember reading that back in the day. <laughs> oh, man, I don't remember writing it, but I always find your 60K corners entertaining because you were, you were like blunt and to the point. You were doing like speed tests between TSC basic versus Microsoft basic and, you know, basically razzing the competition. It was, it was great because most like rainbow, especially at that time was very polite talking about any competitors type thing. And, but, um, CCN yeah. just let you go free. Yeah. <laughs> you got to admit that the uh, the business model did work for Apple. <laughs> well, well, Frank uses an Apple now, so I guess it kind of yeah. tells you. The, uh, I'll tell you a funny little uh, story about it. I used to do the column in uh, Rainbow every month. And um, I, sent a, I, I, I had a little joke in the beginning of the column because I was sitting on, actually, I, don't, I think it was probably writing on a Mac, whatever I was writing it on. I reached over uh, to pick up the remote to change the TV channel or to mute it or something, and it wasn't working, and I realized it wasn't the remote. It was a calculator, and I thought that was kind of funny. So I put that in the column, and the guy who was editor, I can't remember his name. Is that Bill Sias? Uh, no, this was Rainbow. Oh, Rainbow. Reed? Um, Reed, yeah. He took that out, and I didn't like the fact that he was editing. You know, I didn't mind to do, you know, punctuation and smell checking and stuff like that, but I didn't like being edited without being consulted. So the next month uh, when it was time to do the column, um, I didn't do it. And uh, Lon called me up and he said, how come you're not doing it? I said, I didn't like being edited. And he said, okay, he says, no, you will not be edited from here on out. So that was <laughs> part of it. Uh, and uh, you know, it reminded me of another thing. You know, we did... Uh, uh, I did several things comparing OS 9 level one to flex. Yeah, and, I remember those. And 
Comparing OS9 to Flex, Flex wins. Flex was a better operating system for the color computer without level two OS9. And I wrote about that extensively, which was a problem for Rainbow because Tandy was a big customer of theirs and um, they didn't particularly like it. Well, so Tandy comes out with, uh, you know, level two, the whole different thing. And I was at a uh, Cocoa Fest and the guys from Rainbow, names I can't remember, they said, well, now will you admit you're wrong about OS 9? And I said, no, I was right about OS 9. You came out with OS 9 level two. It's an entirely different thing, you know? So I was right. This is a different operating system. It's called the same thing. Um, so I had, I had run-ins with, with everyone at one time or another. It was probably <laughs> to my detriment. You know? so, I had, I had, uh, I had problems with, uh, Lonnie about I don't even remember what it was, but there was one Rainbow Fest. Uh, I don't, you know, so I decided not to go, uh, not to show at it. And but I did a Rainbow Fest special as an ad, and I went to the Rainbow Fest and I walked around. And I was telling everybody, boy, this is a great idea, man. I, you know, I uh, I'm making more money without doing this show than if I had done the show, which was not true. But you know. Uh, and after that, whatever differences Lonnie and I had, uh, they got ironed out. <laughs> so, <laughs> some, I, I do some, remember the OS 9 versus Flex. And, and to be honest, I think you were right, too. Level 1 OS 9 is too restrictive. You're kind of crippled. You it, just don't have the resources. And it's too big. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you can fit much bigger, larger, better programs under Flex. And then when Level 2 came out with windowing and everything else, you were whole... Pardon the expression, whole hog into it. Yeah, hog. But we had level two. We had level two. <laughs> you know, we had Sculptor. We had all these other, you know, things that would only run on level two. Uh, yeah. So we were, you know, I was ready to go uh, with it. Yeah, you had WizTerm and uh, by Bill Brady, you had Sculptor, which was like professional grade level software required 512K to run. And um, then you also came up with some hardware, like Bruce, I said, helped design, I think, the Eliminator, which I still have. Mm. It's like a big multi-IO board beyond anything else I've seen before or since. You haven't told him that you still have a Tomcat. Yeah, no, I still have my Tomcat. Well, they I've were got very, very, hard drive in it, but. Only did We only did 25 of those. And uh, it was basically the pilot run. I had about 500 orders for the thing, pre-orders. And I'm proud to say that I never cashed anybody's check or charged a credit card, you know, I know some other companies can't say. Um, and I held on to all the orders as we were developing it. One of the big delays, about six weeks, which is really a killer delay, was I was having memory uh, overheating problems. They were, you know, we had four banks of SIMs in the normal configuration you had, and they were running within a few degrees of, of their limit. And I thought it was our design. Now, today, if you had a problem like that, you could put a fan on it. But back then, you didn't do that sort of thing. You know, putting a fan on it to cool something down was uh, considered poor design. But it took six weeks or two months to figure out that the reason the memory was running hot was because of the design of the gimme. It was designed that way, you know. Um, and then once I realized that, that it wasn't our design, I could go ahead uh, with production. But the orders by that time, uh, there wasn't 500 anymore, and there wasn't enough to warrant uh, going into full production. Although, you know, if I had more money, I would do it. But it was I was also running out of cash, too, at that time. Cause 
you know, it was an expensive proposition doing that. So you have yeah. a very Plus you're rare... doing the T seventy at the same time too, and the yeah. Capa stuff, yeah. and yeah, yeah. And I wasn't I wasn't financing that stuff. Uh, Hazelwood Computers was building the stuff, and we worked on the design uh, together. Um, but that you know that yeah, trying to get color computer people to buy OS nine sixty eight thousand stuff was a tough sell, and. When, when Tandy discontinued the color computer, actually they told me that, I uh, said, you know, we've never trademarked Cocoa and I should have taken that as a hint and trademarked it uh, because I was getting competition from people that were calling that what they had was a Cocoa 4 and I could have stopped that. Um, the only Cocoa that anyone could build would be one with a gimme chip and I bought every one that Radio Shack had. There weren't any ones available that I didn't have. So I was the only one who could actually make a Cocoa before. But there was competitors that were claiming they could, you know, or they would emulate it or do this, that, or the other thing. And I was getting calls from people, you know, will your TC9 do what so-and-so claims theirs will do? And at that point, you know, what was I going to say? Well, no, ours won't do that. Neither will theirs, you know. So there's a customer who's going to buy either one, you know. How did you come up with the name Tomcat? Uh, well, as you know, there's an airplane yeah. called the Tom Cabbage airplane. And, uh, I was driving to work one day and, uh, you know, it just popped into my head and I thought, yeah, that's a, that's a cool name, you know, to come up with, you know, the, um, that's, you know, I was tr struggling to try to find a name, you know, um, well, like the QT, uh, there's, I was out, I think it was in Des Moines and there's, uh, uh some kind of business out there called QT. And I, I looked out the hotel window. I looked at it. I saw a QT, the Quad Terminal. That's that's a cool name for the QT. So that's how that name came about. Um, so Tomcat, TC, you know, uh, those were the names. I thought they were okay names. Uh, you know, I wish I had trademark Coco. Then I could have called them a Coco 4. And actually, the, the original TC9 was not what you got, uh, no. <laughs> no, and I, if I had been smarter, I would have made the, I made the original one was a single board computer. It was basically, I took everything that you could currently have in a color computer, you know, the, the, uh, uh 512k RAM, you know, it had, it had the four SIM cards on it. It had the, uh, keyboard interface. Um, it had, uh, stuff in there for, uh, the hard drive interface, everything. And it was in a pancake, uh, PC case. Um, that would have sold really, really well because it ran color computer stuff. It had a ROM slot so you could plug in the ROM things. So everybody that had games and stuff, which I was never into, uh, could have plugged in and do it. But I made the mistake of letting the competition from uh, MM1 uh, sway me into doing the TC9 that we ended up doing. If I had done the original one, I could have got it out months sooner. And it probably would have sold in you know much better quantity than than the TC9 would have sold because it would have been basically a Coco 4. You know, it would have been kind of what Tandy would have come out with. Yeah, Frank, my understanding of it was uh, with the the TC9, it was actually a card that went into a bus. Yeah, the K bus. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, the K bus. So so was the the K bus something that that was uh, uh, compatible with the MM1? No, no. Okay. Uh, MM1 was a entirely different thing. Okay. We had um, um, actually Mike Smith at Hazelwood Computers come up, came up with a K bus, 
and they were making cards that plugged into it. So we made the TC70 so it would plug into the K bus. And then the TC9 had, had the interface, but never actually plugged into a K bus, never did anything more with it than put the pins on the edge of the card. Did you ever do anything with it, Curse? Uh, <laughs> uh, we were talking with Bob Puppo about doing it because he had some, because um, I think he helped you design the TC9, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but he, uh, he had some you know, specific interrupt places that he was actually going to have it so you could like put something on the on the bus and tell the k bus you know i've got some stuff available for you and you can make requests back and forth so we had a kind of a protocol done for it but we never bill and i never had a k bus to try it with so <laughs> no we didn't either grant do you have the uh tomcat brochure because you might as well put it up while we're talking about it you can kind of show some of the k bus cards because k bus was actually a, a a card slot system that actually supported six to eight thousand to the six to eight thousand and twenty and thirty and it had you know, serial port cards and parallel port cards, and the, the TC9. Is, is, like, is that like a bus? Uh, no, this is like a 16 bit bus, if I remember correctly. Oh. It's a full 16 bit bus. Oh, okay. Or even 32. I can't even remember. Do you remember, Frank? No, I, you know. <laughs> I never had one, so I don't really know for sure. So. Yesterday is a challenge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Going back that far, no, I, uh, uh, a lot of us coming back as you guys talk. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, uh, T the TC seventy was that a uh, that was similar to the TC nine. It was just a sixty eight thousand. Sixty eight thousand seventy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it used the same chip that the MM one used, or the MM one used the same chip that <laughs> whichever. I think the MM one came first, but I had talked to them. They wanted me to come on board with that, but I looked at that and it was a computer and software system that was designed by a committee and i didn't think that that would ever work because whenever you get you know a committee involved you run into all these you know i want to do it this way i want to do it that way and from what i heard at the time I, there was there was one guy i can't remember his name who was doing the board design the hardware design kevin and, Pease. um i don't remember i kevin, remember yeah, he's one of guy who designed the original m1 if i remember correctly yeah Along with Paul Ward. Oh, there we go. There's the TC10 brochure. Yeah. He was bitching about something that they were, you know, wanting him to do that couldn't be done. Um, you know, so, th so there, that sort of thing, you know, when you have so many cooks, you can't get anything really done. You have to have someone that's going to make a decision and say, okay, this is what we're going to do and, and do it right or wrong. And that was one of the mistakes I made. I tried to do too much and it, it took too long to do it. And that's what I say, it should have come out with that first Coco four. And while well, that was, uh, uh, you know, doing, and it would have sold in a thousand, I think. Um, and then work on things like a TT 70 and let the MM one guys, you know, do their thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how well that ended up selling. Uh, those I, I think it, everybody had problems. All the Coco fours, quote unquote, you know, had problems because yeah. of the limited market and and unlimited resources. I mean, you guys weren't all big companies, so no. And the market was dwindling uh, extremely fast. Once, yeah, it was uh, standardizing on PCs and, and like Windows PCs and Macs at that point already. Yeah, the Amigas were dying off too. It wasn't just you guys. Yeah. Once the, I mean, if you had a color computer and you weren't in the business or you know, or you weren't an avid guy and you know, Tandy drops the thing, uh, and you're in the market to buy a new computer, you know, you want to get something now, you don't want to wait for a year or however long it took. 
and it just took me too long to get it done. And I, if I had, you know, of course, people say, what would I do different? I had to do it over again. I said, well, I'd buy, you know, next week's lottery ticket and save all this hassle. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if I had that kind of uh, precognition, you know, I just, I just <laughs> wasn't that smart, you know. But at the time, I did uh, what I did because I, you know, and I don't second guess myself as far as, whether that was a mistake or not, it was just what I uh, did based on what was happening back then. And this is weird. I'm looking at myself, but there's a delay. Uh, yeah, don't let it bother you. No, I, I, I shouldn't look at myself because I'm trying to match my, my <laughs> lips to what I'm saying or what I said a minute ago. You know? <laughs> yeah, there was so many reasons why at the end the Tandy decided to you know, kill the color computer. Uh, you had the Radio Shack uh, management wanting to say, hey, we make money, more money off the Tandy 1000 series and its software. Why do we still keep this thing around? And the other thing, too, was on the software development end, we were starting to have to buy liability software for Tandy because somebody made some software for the Tandy 1000 that uses somebody's... Um, patented code and they didn't pay for the license and Tandy got sued. So now developers were having to carry million dollar licenses for Tandy and the cost of that license or that insurance was the same price that Tandy was willing to pay for the software in the first place. Hmm. So you couldn't make any, you couldn't, you could not make any money selling for, you know, the $20 game. It just, there's no, no profit module there or model. So it, there was a lot of things that came at the end that killed the cocoa. And, uh, you know, and, and let's put it this way. Some people were admired by the Amiga. You know, they love that machine and then the PC and the Mac and yeah, the whole industry changed. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's an interesting piece of information. I didn't have that. I didn't know what that was the reason of it. Yeah. But, um, well, the, uh, the, the, basically with Inside Tandy, the uh, PC version, the Tandy 1000, they've been trying to kill off the Cocoa for a couple of years before it died. And one of the demos they did, I think I mentioned this once before, is they took the Rampage for Cocoa and the Rampage for the PC, you know, their Tandy 1000, and they had a meeting set up with the higher execs, and they're showing it off, and the guys from the Tandy 1000 kept going, look how great this thing is. It's got beautiful colors. It plays just like the arcade, and it sounds great and like that. And then Barry Thompson says, you do realize you're pointing to the Coco monitor, not the PC. <laughs> so Arkanoid gave actually not Arkanoid but uh, Rampage gave the Coco another year <laughs> well, I thank him for that uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was good at the time yeah, well, one thing I was going to ask you Frank uh, on the TC9 like the very first ads that came out for it were mentioning that you'd get a, a machine that was literally 33% faster using a, I believe a clock doubler circuit like Sockmaster's posted since and I think that was a Bob Puppel thing too but I think you had the same problem that Paul Barton and a few others have done trying to do it is that every single gimme isn't quite the same and uh, you know the timing would work on some boards and it wouldn't work on others and I think Bill and, actually, and I actually talked to you about it at some fest but you guys were having tremendous problems trying to get that to work and, and then you finally abandoned it just because it wasn't worth the effort. You were had well, to hand, hand tweak every board or something. 
plus I couldn't get any technical information about the gimme uh, because that belonged to Tandy and Tandy wouldn't give it up. So everything we knew about it was what you guys knew about it. You know, uh, try to reverse engineer from the outside. Looking at it, as I said about the, the memory overheating problem, there was a lot of problems with it that made it difficult. And I'm not an engineer. I uh, came up with a concept and then someone else builds it and someone else designs it. Um, for example, we, we did a, uh, a quad terminal thing, which was a 68,000 uh, computer with four serial ports and two parallel ports. And that was built into a hard drive case at the time. It had a, uh, the hard drive case. Uh, I got them from a company already done. The only thing they had to remake was the back of it. And um, I was talking to Mike Smith, who designed the hardware, and I said, Mike, we can put another four serial ports on this thing. Uh, and he was like, where are you going to do that? And I said, well, I can put my hand behind the hard drive and the floppy down, you know, in there. And if I can get my hand in there, then we can get another board in there. <laughs> and uh, so he designed a board with uh, four more serial ports and two more parallel ports. And uh, so they, that became a, uh, an eight-user uh, computer in the, in the size of an external hard drive case. And I sold one to a company. I don't remember the company's name, but they bought it and called me up and they said, where's the computer? All we got is a hard drive case. And I said, well, that is the computer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Call me back a few days later and they were, they had had a meeting with, uh, with all of their engineers. They took the top off this thing and they were amazed at how much managed to get stuffed in there. Uh, and Mike Smith gets the credit for that, you know, and, uh, you know, I had some part of it, but none of the design of it, you know, and, and we sold a number of those that was quite unusual, you know, to have that much power in it. So did that have a name, um, or a number a QT, I forget maybe a QT eight or something. I, I don't really remember what we called it. It was just an add on board, but we sold a number of them. I don't think we sold the add on board itself separately. We could have, we might have. Um, it was a little tricky assembling it because the serial ports um, themselves were on. We used a uh, uh, RS-232 uh, part. It was a wire wrap part in order to get the length of the pins because it sat off the board about an inch in order to get around the other um, uh, RS-232 ports that were already on the back of the, uh, of the computer. So it was it was an interesting thing, and I never saw one anywhere near that small that had that much capability. And the fact that it worked was uh, surprising. Mike Smith designed the first uh, board to fit on to a floppy drive, the, the pinout, uh, or a hard drive, where the pinout was you could mount it right onto a hard drive, and and it was a single board computer. And um, he contacted me with it, and I said, yeah, we can do that. And, I contacted the guys that made our cases because we were buying cases for external drives and stuff and uh, told them what we want to do. And they took one of the cases that they had and made up a new back panel um, that had the RS-232 cutouts in it. <clears throat> and that's how that came about. Then Gimmicks, uh, after that was called GMX, they came out with it was a 68020 on one of those boards. 
uh, that same size board. That thing was packed tight. And we sold that for a, a little bit of time, but he was kind of upset with me. He wanted me to not sell Hazelwood stuff. He wanted me to just sell gimmick stuff. And, you know, Hazelwood stuff was selling better than gimmick stuff. So I wasn't going to stop selling once it was selling good, just to appease Don. Um, so that's, I'm getting off subject probably, but that's how that all came about. Um, I was just going to ask you too, the Mike Smith that helped you design it, is that the same Mike Smith that did Omni Basic for OS 9? Or is that a different Mike Smith? Mike Smith did a, is that a compiler? Yeah, it's a basic yeah. Basic 9 style compiler. Yeah, I forgot what the name of it was. Yeah, he did that. He wrote that. Um, he's since passed away, but he was quite an interesting yeah. character. Yeah, I used to be on the phone with him a lot because when he was doing OmniBasic, we used it at work. And actually, I, Bill and I were helping him debug it. So we'd send bug reports and stuff, oh. and he'd send back a, a recompiled version of it. So we were on the phone some Fridays, like for four hours a night, wow. chatting about anything but computers half the time. But <laughs> he was a very interesting guy to talk to. <laughs> yes, he is a, he is a character. He grew his own tobacco. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, <laughs> he... he um, uh, you know, when you go back to Flex, if you didn't license Flex, the uh, you you could buy what they I that maybe the developers copy or you could buy Flex from TSC for like 150 bucks or something, and it was just a generic Flex disc. And what uh, uh, Mike and Dave, I'm trying to remember Dave's last name, speaking me at the moment. What they did was they put drivers in in the ROM so that it would boot up this generic flex disk and he could run flex on his computer and he didn't have to buy a license from <laughs> TSC. Well, that pissed off uh, Don at the gimmicks, you know. And he was he was trying to uh, uh, you know get them uh, get TSC to do so. Well, they're not buying a license; they shouldn't have this and so on and so forth. Uh, Don was a character. We were selling some stuff overseas, exporting some computers. And I was using a export service where you send a computer to them and then they had all of the export license stuff and then they would send it off to the customer. And that cost the customer an extra hundred bucks. So we were trying to get an export license from, from the government. Oh, you want to talk about jumping through hoops. Uh, Alex, who was running that, he had two or three uh, yellow legal pads written of all these calls he was making to all these people to try to get this this license, you know, and it was, and I, after a while, it's out of hell with it. You know, I'm sorry we're having to charge people a hundred bucks, but, you know, we gave it our best shot. And then one day we got a knock on the door and it was three guys from the government. I, um, I'm trying to figure out what department, the federal government that handles that. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know them from a bag of assholes. They came in and you know, one guy had a gold badge, which meant absolutely nothing to me, you know? And when they came, I was pissed off because we'd, I just like earlier that day had told Alex, uh, just forget it. So I was ticked off at the government. So this guy comes in. I thought he was from that uh, uh, section who was going to give us this license. So I went up one side of him and down the other about how hard, no wonder no one can export stuff, you know, and we have a trade deficit when you guys make it damn near impossible to do all this sort of stuff. And he was quite shocked. And he said, well, can I, can I see your uh, uh, record? Oh, sure, go ahead. And, and Kara was the office manager. As Kara, let them see whatever they want. You know, and I kind of dismissed them because I wasn't going to follow through with it. Well, I was talking to Mike Smith sometime after that, and I related this to him. And he was shocked. He said, you don't know who those guys were? And I said, no. I thought, you know, I didn't know anything about it. He said, well, those, you know, you get a guy with a gold badge, that's, 
that's some big wig, you know. They came and saw me. They were investigating you because Don at Gimmicks had uh, claimed that I was shipping stuff overseas without an export license. So the government was investigating me, and they went out to Mike's place and swore him to secrecy, and he was all nervous and shook up about the whole thing. (laughs) That was going to go to jail. And when I was relating this thing to him about how I was berating this guy with his gold badge, he was going, oh, my God, you didn't do that. I didn't know who it was. So <laughs> I had a little bit of humor there, you know. But uh, never did bother getting an export license. It was, you know, it was, that was the end of that. <laughs> so, well, they were probably from the Department of Commerce. My wife used to work for them. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds reasonable. It's a long yeah. time ago. But. She was involved in the export division, and she spent a lot of time doing training seminars for corporations so they figure out what they could do with exporting stuff and like that and yes there is a lot of red tape and every time there's a new administration it gets worse mm-hmm. yeah it's add yeah. more layers yeah well yeah, mike, just... mike was quite the character though I'm, I'm glad i'm glad you brought him up there because i haven't thought about him in a while because he passed away i think in 97 98 or something it's been quite a while already yeah. He was just in the midst of making a new version of OmniBasic too. He'd send me the very first alpha. He was switching, like he'd switched over to doing it based in C++. He'd made a cross-platform with Linux and Windows. Found out that people in Linux and Windows didn't want to pay for it. So he was going back <laughs> to doing it native assembly. Sent a very first alpha that had just, you know, the very basics of it working. And it was running really fast compared to his previous versions. And then I got a call from uh, one of the other people at um, whatever the company was that was selling OmniBasic at the end there. And saying, you know, he suddenly had a heart attack and he passed away. So this product's dead. They were trying to find somebody else to take over for a while, but they they never did find anyone, unfortunately. I wasn't in contact with him, you know, at that point in time. So I didn't I didn't find out he died until sometime afterward. When was it he died? I think it was ninety seven or ninety eight. I'd have to go check. I haven't thought about it in a while, but yeah. I'd literally been on the phone with him literally two weeks before he passed away. Oh wow. It was a heart attack because I always wondered if it was from his cigarettes, which he claimed were not a problem if you grew your own, uh, you know. And of course, he would go <laughs> on and on about how the uh, the tobacco companies were lacing the tobacco with all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember those, those Friday night phone conversations for four hours. He was just chain smoke. You could hear him lighting up the next one like three minutes later. And <laughs> yeah, he was a character. Uh, his wife did all the all the boards, soldered all the boards. And uh, matter of fact, the TC70, they hand soldered the, uh, the, the CPU, which was a chip designed to be weight or to, uh, service mount. And I never could figure out how he could solder those things. They're so tiny, but uh, he managed to do it. One question I wanted to ask you, like over, over the years, you know, in, in Cocoa stuff and the TC9, TC70 stuff, you worked with a lot of people that are, you know, semi-common names in the Cocoa community, like Bob Popo, your your nephew, Rich, uh, Bruce Eisted. I'm just trying to think, is, and then Michael Smith, is there any other names that you would like to bring up oh, that are uh, instrumental for your company that we may <laughs> not? I, that, that's a tough one because my memory is not that good. I'm 73. I'm going on 90, I think. But uh, <laughs> yeah, You mentioned Peter Dibble. Peter Dibble. Dale Puckett, yeah. I guess you mentioned. Dale Puckett, yeah. I, we, I, I'm friends with Dale on, on Facebook. Uh, so he's still kicking. Are you going to uh, try and encourage him to come on here? I hadn't even given it a thought. Yes, you, know, you did uh, too. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm in contact with him on Facebook too. I should ask him actually. Yeah, he's, yeah there you he go. He's on Twitter on Ham Nation all the time. So yeah, we're we'll right. this big yeah. puzzle together. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Like the as far as your one. core group at Frank Hog Labs itself, who were the main hardware designers, or was that kind of subcontracted out? Or okay, well, uh, if someone came up with something, uh, like you were talking about the expander, I think that was uh, I forget who was it that did that or no? Oh, Bruce, the Eliminator he, one. Yeah, yeah, the Eliminator one. Yeah, um, people would come to me with uh, with with stuff, you know, whether it was software or hardware that they that they would. Uh, be doing and you know would you sell this for us you know that sort of thing like there was one company that came out with a keyboard you know uh, and they came into the office and and uh, picked my brain for a while and and, and came out with it themselves and i called them i said geez you can at least send me one for free for the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> which reluctantly they did um but that's how things would happen someone would come up with something and then and would look at it and if it seemed like it would sell uh we would do it uh, some things didn't sell. We did a, a robot. I'm trying to remember the name of that thing. Um, oh, the Nomad. Uh, right from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. It was a little thing to hook up the color computer. It would wander around and had a uh, IR uh, thing to map where it was going. And it would create a map on the color computer of, of, a, of a room and stuff. But it had to be hooked up by wire. And it was expensive. I think it was $150. And uh, so it, it never sold. I think we sold one or two. And I finally ended up selling them at cost, to, you know, to get my investment back. And that was, you know, so, it, you know, and I personally honest, I, I learned after a while that the, uh, and matter of fact, it was a lesson that IBM didn't learn initially, was that when you look at the product, if you wouldn't buy it, you know, like I would say to myself, if this was on the market, would I buy it? And if the answer came back, no, then the question you have to ask yourself is, why the hell would anyone else buy it? And I became, <laughs> IBM came out with the IBM, the PC Junior with a chickle keyboard, you know, and this is the company that invented the Selectric typewriter, the keyboard that everybody else was emulating. And they came out with this piece of crap chiclet. And I remember reading uh, a quote from one of the IBM Honcho's saying, well, this is for them, you know? So it, it exemplified that question, you know, would you buy it if it was available? No, he wouldn't. And they ended up, IBM ended up giving everybody who bought a PC Junior a real keyboard for free. So once I started asking myself that question, you know, if this was available, would I buy it? I, I, I came a little more particular about what kind of things I would take on. Um, when we started selling Sculptor, which was a database, uh, you could create business programs. Um, and we started using that to, uh, to do invoices and stuff. That was right when OPAC came up. And, and we had a ton of orders for it. And the girls were typing them up by hand. And, and Sculptor came in. And I, I played around with it for one evening or maybe a day or two. And I went in and told them. I said, you know, stop typing invoices. I can do this with Sculptor and we could have the computer print all the invoices, which I did because there was, I don't know, 1500 or something orders and you know, type 1500 invoices took a lot of time. So that was the first thing using Sculptor. And uh, that gave me a database. I could look at sales numbers and how many of this were selling and how many of that were selling. And I found out a lot of stuff that we were getting a lot of calls on people weren't buying. We weren't making sales. So we started to weed out 
some of the products that were in the in the catalog, uh, just to cut down the effort of of um, you, know, you couldn't market it. People, you know, they had such limited appeal. I couldn't tell you what any of them are now, but uh, probably half of the things that we had in the catalog weren't selling at all. You know, maybe one or two. So got a little more particular after that. But that was towards getting towards the end. Yeah. You know? did, did you do much in-house hardware and or software development, like with your actual actual employees, or did you usually just, you know, bring in stuff from the outside as they approached you? Uh, the only thing I did in-house was, you know, I would, uh, uh, we did some rack mounted computers, uh, custom computers, and I did those. Uh, but it, I didn't do any boards. I never, you know, made any uh, circuit boards or anything like that other than the TC9. But I had, I farmed all of that out to other people. You know, we, all the TC9, the TC9 you have, that was all done by us. And, you know, there I had a couple of people working that soldered up all the boards. And, and um, I think one of them was adding, you know, there's wires on the bottom of it. You might've noticed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so one of them was adding those and, uh, all of them ended up working. Now, there wasn't one of them that didn't work. But by that time, money was so tight that I didn't keep one of them for myself. You know, that was 500 bucks uh, a pop. So we sold every one of them and then, you know, spent several days mailing back uh, checks to people that had ordered them with an apology letter. And sorry, you know, we're not, we're not going to go through with this. Because at that time, I don't know what the numbers were, 100, maybe 125. And it, at, 500, even at 500 bucks, it wasn't profitable. You know, it, it had to be 500 or more in order to make, to make any money on it. You know, you couldn't just do a hundred board run and, and have a, uh, have a profit on it. You know, so that's why it stopped. <clears throat> that's why it ended. But the real problem was the time delay. If I had gotten it out sooner, it would have made all the difference in the world. We were probably losing Oh, every week I would say we would lose 10 or 15 or 20 orders for it. You know, people that would cancel. And, uh, so that two month delay because of the heat, I think was the major thing that killed it. Uh, you know, cause that was, that dropped it down below 500 significantly. And I think we only had maybe a hundred or 150 live orders for it. And if I had the money, uh, and it would have taken a lot, to go into production and make them and hope that more people would buy them afterwards, I would have given that a shot, but it just didn't have it. You know, when did, you, did you ever consider um, bringing other people in to invest? Yeah. And I talked to some people and, but they looked at the numbers and said, it's just not there. Hmm. You know, the same numbers I looked at, they, it was, it was a gamble. Um, now at this time um, were people, people started buying PCs, right? And, PCs um, or Macs. I don't know what they ended up with, but they got out of the color computer. Right. But um, did you ever consider, you know, keeping your business and doing PC? I don't like, making? I don't, I, I never liked the, uh, I always thought MS-DOS was a piece of crap. And I thought Windows was a piece of crap until they, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I was using Macs and I bought the first Mac in 84 and I don't know window, when Windows came out with something that was usable, but I never liked that product line at all. 95. Uh, well, what, did, what did you think of the Hackintoshes that came out later on? That was, um, actually, I looked into to, uh, doing one of those. 
I'm building one of those. And I thought, you know, this is, you know, uh, too much work for too little reward myself. Uh, and I wasn't that much of a hacker by then. You know, I was kind of burned out from the uh, uh, color, com- you know, the TC9 experience. I'd uh, closed up the uh, computer business and, and I'd gone back into my profession, which is a dental laboratory, you know. By the way, a little aside on that, back when it was called Trancog Dental Laboratory, a number of people thought that wasn't really a dental laboratory because if you remember, there was Dr. Dobbs' journal Dr. Dobbs. of orthopedia and whatever, and they thought it was, uh, we were copying Dr. Dobbs, you know, this little quirky name. Was, no, no, we're really a dental laboratory. You know? <laughs> so, but uh, So I went back into that and did that until I retired here about 10 years ago. And... Uh, so uh, as a overall looking back, um, would you have changed anything or? Yeah, I would have know? bought a lottery ticket. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you want to, uh, the problem that we had uh, was we had, well, hell, name names. Uh, MM1. Uh, Paul Ward was making claims about what the MMO one was going to do. You know, they're going to have a Coco three or whatever emulator board. They were going to do this. And they had all of these claims that um, I didn't, you know, you cannot do back then. You could not do an emulator with Coco three without a gimme. And I had all the gimme. So that those claims were BS as far as I was concerned. But the problem was, Someone who was looking for an upgrade to a color computer, they would either talk to him or read the claims, and then they would call me and say, will your computer do what they say theirs will do? And because I don't lie, I said no, and neither will theirs. And as a consequence, that customer went away and didn't buy either one. So that was a problem for me. And if I had had bigger balls, I would have just said, oh, screw them. I'm going to come out with a Google <laughs> 4 on that uh, single board that I originally came up with. We actually had a prototype board made, and I showed it at one of the Coco Fest. In, it, it was a non-working prototype, uh, but it had all the, you know, all the layout of everything, you know, so you could see where, where we were headed with it. Um, I mean, you could plug in a ROM cartridge. That made an enormous difference. If you couldn't plug in a ROM cartridge, you would cut your market down dramatically because so many color computer users, uh, you know, played games uh, with the ROM cartridges, you know, and that was, if you didn't have a ROM cartridge, you probably, probably cut your potential market down by 90%, maybe even more. So that first one had a ROM cartridge slot. It had all this other stuff, all these upgrades that you would put into the thing. And it was in this nice little package without all this crap hanging off on the side, you know, <laughs> uh, that would have sold really well. So, but, so that's what you think you should have uh, if I had done that, concentrated I would, on. I would have, yeah. yeah, I would have made a lot of money on that. We would have sold thousands of those and just ignored the fact of, uh, you know, let the MM1 guys do their thing, you know, and say, yeah, well, you know, we're doing a Cocoa 4 that actually is a Cocoa 4. So I would have, I would have trademarked Cocoa, uh, which would have prevented anyone from using that term. Uh, you know, saying, well, this is, ours is the Coco 4. There were, I think Delmar was. Yeah, the PT68K4 was their Coco 4, which yeah. is basically an OSK machine. Hey, yeah. did you know that, uh, did, did you know that uh, Tandy actually used the word Coco in an ad? They told me that they had not trademarked Coco. 
uh, in effect, told me, Frank, go trademark cocoa, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at, at one of the cocoa, one of the last cocoa fest, uh, a couple guys there made it a point to tell me that. And I should have been smart enough to do it. Well, you know, like, the ad I'm speaking of is a French one. <laughs> oh, I don't it isn't know. even in English. <laughs> ah. They use the word cocoa for cocoa, too. Mm. Yeah. So, well, if I had trademarked that, then, then no one else would have been able to claim that they had a cocoa four. Because I would have mm-hmm. trademarked cocoa and cocoa four and cocoa five, you know, all these variants of the thing. And that would have prevented anyone from making that claim. And that would have dramatically reduced the confusion in the market. Because the consumers will look at this and say, oh, this is a cocoa four and that's a cocoa four. Which one is the real cocoa four? You know? Yeah. You, you would think it would come from Tandy. Right. Yeah. So, but that's, you know, case uh, or I've made a lot of boneheaded <laughs> decisions in my life. And at the time, uh, knowing what I knew at the time and, and my background, I wasn't so much in the color computer as I was into uh, 68,000. You know, I was more into, you know, OS9 level two and all that. So that's kind of where I was going. And we were selling uh, TC70 computers. Um, you know, they were, they were selling pretty well. And so I talked to Mike about it and I said, well, let's, you know, work out how we can tie what you've got with the, the K bus. You've got all these other cards and uh, uh, I can do this uh, TC9 to work with the K bus. And that's, you know, where I go and all that sort of things that, that delayed getting the product out. And since, and what we've all learned when you're doing hardware, uh, you don't announce the product until you've got it ready to ship, you know, until you're selling it. You look at Apple and they'll, they'll announce something and you can order it today or order it next Monday for first uh, deliveries the week afterwards. Back then, people were announcing stuff. Uh, months in advance and well it killed Adam Osborne not not physically but I mean it killed the Osborne market because people just stopped buying his computer and he didn't have the money to actually come out with the executive so you know but none of us knew those lessons back then you know we were all uh, neophytes and learning how to do these things now did you ever see the um, Coco 4 that's in the um, Coco book you know the um the one that looks like a, a Coco One white with a box on it and a floppy on it. No. Have uh, you ever seen that? No, no, I never. Matter of fact, I actually when I got the book, I just read the part about me. I was that part's accurate. So you're a diehard, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I was uh, scolded, I guess it's kind of too strong of a word, but I was told uh, in on the Facebook, uh, a guy named Mike Siegel. Mark Siegel, yeah, he's from Tandy. Mark, he's one of the main cocoa Mark, guys. At yeah. Um, he, I posted a picture of that and I, because I, we were talking about possible Cocoa Fours, and he said that that was some sort of educational thing and was never uh, a prototype Cocoa Four. Hmm. I don't know. You know, because I thought uh, the the picture got passed around the forum, and it, that's what it was kind of billed as. Uh, but it then had he, a nameplate on there that said Coco Four. Yeah, and well, that's what you know. He was trying to tell me that he knew more than me, and he worked for Tandy, so I'm not going <laughs> to tell him he's wrong. <laughs> no, guys, in your in your uh, I don't know, let's say group or whatever, some of the stuff that people came up with. 
uh, was quite interesting. Someone, I don't have any idea who it was, maybe you'd recognize it, had taken a color computer and made it portable, put a little tiny little screen. Frank uh, Swigert. Like, who? <laughs> Frank Swigert. He did World of Six to Eight Micros, a kind of a newsletter slash magazine in the oh, okay. 90s. Yeah. yeah. He used to take it to the fest too. Yeah. In a little wooden box saw. or whatever it was in, and he would just lug it around with a screen. <laughs> and his yeah. I, I yeah. had a Coco 2 in my um, truck. I, I oh. had a hooked up electric to it and made it work in my van. Yeah, Boise did that too. He called his the Coyota because he had it in his Toyota. That's truck. right. <laughs> I remember seeing pictures of that. It was red, wasn't it? Red. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nine on ROM, and it would actually monitor some of the stuff from the truck computer, if I remember correctly. Uh, I actually had the idea of taking like a, a Raspberry Pi and gutting out a laptop. And the the thing I was wondering how to do would be how to connect the keyboard from the uh, laptop to you know a us to usb so you could punch it into the raspberry pi and then you could emulate the cocoa batteries already in it to run the cocoa uh or the raspberry pi and the display and everything uh, so you could kind of make a laptop cocoa pretty easily you know anymore if you think of something you can do it yeah yeah you know that's the way it is working these days yeah. you know we uh, are you familiar with the sdc that we're using frank um, STC, I'm not familiar with, no. Yeah, we have a device you stick in the cartridge port and it has an SD card filled with all of everybody's software from time immemorial. <laughs> well, I, I expect a check in the mail then. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't send it because then I'd have to send out royalties to whoever... <laughs> Hey Frank, as you uh, you look back at some of these projects and uh, and uh, things that you worked on, is there anything that you're most proud of? Uh well, that's a tough question. Most proud of? Gosh, um, I, I you know that's really the wrong the wrong word for me to say. It it wasn't. It was more accidental than on purpose. So I, I don't see how you could be proud of something that happened by accident. Um, yeah, but you had a laboratory, and and it sounded and and you presented yourself as though you were a large factory somewhere. <laughs> well, it, it was the name of the business, you know. Frank Hogg Dental Laboratory was the name of the business, and uh, I think I the thing I was probably most noted for, uh, the people most remember about, was the fact that I used girls in my ads. Back then, <laughs> nobody was doing that. That that is true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They were all very dry and stuff. And uh, um, this girl, I wish I could remember her name. Uh, I had my business in, in a large office building called Midtown Plaza. And the girl that's in the color on back of Rainbow Magazine in the, in the negligee, she uh, was working for one of the dentists. And she uh, had herself made up. And she looked, she was a dead ringer. For Fair Fawcett, who was, you know, all the all the stuff back then, and Dale Puckett, as a matter of fact, will might be able to relate to this uh, because it was because of him. I knew this girl was in in the building, but uh, the guy that was working over the name of Dave wasn't aware of it. On Friday, we would normally quit at one o'clock, so it was like five minutes to one, and Dale was there taking pictures. He'd been there for three or four days because he used the dental lab as a as his project for his uh, classwork that he was doing at SU. And um, 
basically making a pain in the ass of himself because you know he'd come right up to your face, you know, and stand like this and take it. You know, it's like yeah, they, everybody was everybody was pretty much had it with Dale by the time the week came around. And uh, Dale came and he says, Oh Jesus, I don't have a beginning for my story. I've taken pictures of all the girls here and you know, I, I need someone, you know, for uh, for a beginning. And uh, do you know anyone in the building that could that you could get? I said, well, I, yeah, I, I could probably go across the hall. One of the girls that work in the dental office would come over and do it. And I went over there, and they were out to lunch. Uh, like I said, it was just before noon. The uh, cafeteria was just down the hall. I went down there, and one of the girls were, that worked there was there, and this girl that looked like Farrah Fawcett was working there too uh, as an assistant. So I said, geez, you know, I, you know, I asked the girl I knew, you know, would you come? And she says, no, but she would go, you know, she, you know, so she came, uh, with me. So picture Dave, Dave is, you know, ticked off, ready to go. And he said, will you hurry up? I want, I've got an appointment to make, you know? So I go out and five minutes later, I come back in with a girl that looked like Farrah Fawcett. And she was as tall as I was. She was like five ten or five eleven or something like that gorgeous gorgeous girl you know and dave looked at me like where the hell did you come from <laughs> and so i came in with it and i said okay dave you can you can go now you don't have to hang around anymore and he farted around <laughs> he was there for 15 or 20 minutes while dale took the picture of the you know the beginning of his story well she wanted to be a model she was looking to be a model so when i was looking for someone uh to take pictures with the uh you know with the computers I contacted her and this, uh, the, the genesis of that picture that's on the back cover, the color picture was, I wanted, uh, I, I talked to her and I said, well, you know, uh, it's going to come out in the spring. So it would be nice to have like a spring dress on, you know? So she, to the photographer, so she brought stuff that she had, but everything she had was a little too wild. You know, she didn't have any girl next door spring dresses, you know? So I said, well, let's go out to the shopping center. Maybe we can find something. So we go out, and this is probably an early afternoon or something. We go out to this uh, this big department store. And so here I am with this girl that looks like Farrah Fawcett. I'm this old geezer, you know, uh, you know, probably 45 or something like that at the time. And she was probably 19 or something. And we're looking for a dress. So we couldn't find anything because it was too soon, too early. So we said, well, what about a negligee? Maybe we can get a negligee that looks nice. So she's trying on these negligees and she's going into the dress room and she came out and said, you know, what do you think of this? You know, how about this? <laughs> and all these women. <laughs> Two days later. Shot, maybe these dirty looks like you dirty old man. <laughs> <laughs> so we finally, finally bought one. And uh, uh, if you look closely in the picture, we forgot to take the label off it. Now, I don't know where it is in the picture, but somewhere there's the label from the thing. And that's what we use. That was a negligee. Well, it was very... She was completely covered and everything. It was nothing uh, compared to what you see today. But back then, you know, that was, uh, like I say, something I was probably most noted for. It was the most fun, fun thing. Although I, always, <laughs> I could never stay for the photo shoes. The photographers always kicked me out. You know, it was, it would be, the, the model would be intimidated if I was there. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, you dirty old man. <laughs> so, and they would, you know, send me, you know, 50 or 100 uh proofs to look at you know pick one out and, and that's how we how we did that but that's that i got more comments from people about that and the other thing i did at the time all of i you know uh, i was at one of the early coco fest 
and talking to the guy that was in charge of the color computer, I forget his name, um, but I asked him what his demographic was, and, and he, we were at the back of one of the rooms, someone was giving a talk, and there's probably a thousand people in the room, and he says, well, look around, you know, a 30-year-old white male, and, you know, he's right, that's what the demographic was for the color computer market and for my market, so I figured that it would be better to have females answering the phone than males, you know, as far as taking orders and stuff, the guys would be more likely to spend money if uh, females. And when we started doing the ads with the girls in it, uh, one of the questions guys would ask the car, are you the one in the ad? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, that was all planned, you know, uh, I figured that everybody's a dirty old man to some degree, but. Uh, so, so did you have, to, 68-year-olds answering the phone? <laughs> <laughs> no, they were all. Helene was the oldest one, when, and she, didn't, she wasn't working for me at the time. We really got into it, but she was probably mid-30s or something wow. like that. All the other girls were in their 20s. And um, I forget how many there were, eight or nine, or something like that. You know, That's interesting, being the only guy in an office with all women. I highly recommend you don't do it. You know, <laughs> well, we, we don't seem to have any women on the show ever. Well, so, you I know, wonder why. Well, you, the, the demographic is now 60 year old white men. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, it, I had a lot of fun with it. I, uh, you know, I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't do it again. You know, of course, if I was younger, I might, you know, try something like that. But, all of these lessons you learn, you know, they're very expensive. And uh, uh, once you learn them, it's too late. But the the computer industry back then was very young and everybody was making the same mistakes. And everybody thought it was going to go on forever. You know, that it was just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, uh, and then, of course, it, you know, it all fell, you know, through. Uh, and then the dot-com revolution came. And the same pundits that were saying it was going to go on and on forever said the same thing about the dot-com thing. And, you know, and the same thing happened. And I've noticed pundits are good at predicting things. They don't have to be right. You know, they can be wrong and still keep their job. Yeah, they just need to get clicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it was a fun time, and I'm enjoying uh, rehashing some of this old stuff. But uh, what I was most proud of, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I think I, you know, just the, the, you know, the tight end that was in the right place at the right time to catch the ball. And then I was smart enough, you know, to, uh, to see it, but not smart enough to take 100% advantage of it. If I really knew what was going on in the market, you know, we, I didn't know when we came out with that 64 K for free column, I had no idea what the color computer people were. Doing. I, I hadn't kept up with it, you know, because I was never a gamer. And uh, so it came as a complete surprise to me what happened. Uh, and if I had, like I say, I could have, I probably put five or 10 grand on the table by not having uh, 64K chips to sell. Because that's, you know, people would run that basic program, they need one or two chips, and they called me, you know, to get them, and we didn't have them. And it got so busy that there was no time to go look for them. Um, it was it was a crazy time. Uh, speaking of the, the the time and stuff, there when the cocoa 
one and two was starting to run down a little bit by the time the Cocoa 3 came out, you know, between 85, 86. Did you see a resurgence when the Cocoa 3 came out and you started supporting Holstein level two or was, did the market basically stay the same size or? Um, boy, I wish I could remember. We were doing well. Uh, we did well with Flex. We did well with OS9 um, because we had stuff ready to go. And, you know, it didn't matter to me if they were buying Flex software or OS9 software. We had both stuff. And a lot of guys that wrote stuff for Flex, it was the same thing would, you know, would run on OS9. I think Stylus was one of them. Did they run on Flex? Yeah, there was a few Stylograph and Stylus and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were a dealer for him, if you will. And, uh, he had his own, uh, his own company. Um, I don't remember if there was much difference. I think it was probably better when a Cocoa 3 came out on OS 9 level 2 because that made it more legitimate. You know, it wasn't something you had to modify in order to run our software. We were limited with, uh, you know, people that could wire, you know, uh, modify their computers. So when you could go and buy something off the shelf that would run the stuff that we were selling, it made a big difference. So it did well for, for quite a number of years. And uh, the only thing, you know, I made millions of dollars and the only problem with it was I spent millions of dollars too. <laughs> <laughs> the math was a little off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, it's a uh, buy stock safe. Nah, this is going to go on forever. It's never going to. And then, oh, shit, it ended. <laughs> Is it Nick that talks about his uh, his uh, Ferrari or something? Or... Multiple Ferraris. Yeah. The little matchbox ones, but still. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh geez. So. One, yeah. one last question I'll ask you on, on, on Coca-related stuff. Um, when Kevin Darling and the rest of them were working on the level two upgrade, which was officially sanctioned by Tandy and Microware at the time until Tandy canceled it right when they were just about getting done, I know he had made mention when he kind of talked about it later that a lot of the hardware manufacturers and, and resellers and stuff are all coming on board to make sure everything was a compliance with the upgrade. And I know that included you. He actually specifically pointed you as being one of the ones like with the TC9 and with, um, you know, the Eliminator and some of the other stuff that you guys were making sure that everything was going to line up with the level two upgrade. So I was just wondering on yourself personally, how involved were you with the level two upgrade stuff or was that basically just your people that were writing the software? No, I didn't. I, I had gotten out of uh, writing any software uh, with flex. Flex was the last thing that I did anything with. And it was mostly time. I, I just didn't have time to, to do with uh, anything, any of that. Um, Rich was the main guy that wrote software that we sold. He did OPAC and some other things. Um, and other, you know, other people just sending it, just, just managing the business and keep trying to keep up was all I could do to keep up. It was really a hectic time. Um, so I didn't, and, and I didn't, I didn't really know how to program anything in, in uh, OS9. You know, I was just, I didn't have that expertise. So. Okay. Uh, we got a question from the chat here from Al Hartman. He's actually not too far from where you used to be. Oh yeah, I remember that name. Um, hey. Hi, he was asking, is there a reason that uh, Flex was never ported to the Cocoa 3? Um, I thought it was. I don't remember that we didn't. Well, Flex was, uh, TSC had, a, had, a, had something called multi-Flex. Um, that is probably why. I think Flex itself was just a 64K operating system. 
and I didn't own it. You know, I was just a licensee of the thing. Um, that's probably why I don't remember enough. You know, I wish I could tell you more about it. But other than the fact that, uh, you know, what would have run like OSM level three would have been, you know, it was Uniflex, not Multiflex, but Uniflex. And I don't think that product ever took off for uh, TSC, Technical Systems Consultants. I don't even know if they're still in business. But uh, that's probably why it was just never a multi-user operating system. Yeah, that was my guess. Because, I mean, OS 9, as you mentioned before, was kind of restricted on a 64K machine. Like, it, it would barely run, basically. Is what it yeah, would. yeah. And, and once level two came out and you had like five twelve k and you had windowing system and everything else, I, I think Flex would have had a lot to catch up on and at that point yeah. there's no point. Well there wasn't there wasn't any software support for uh, for Uniflex that I was aware of. You know, they had languages and stuff. But I know it wasn't Tandy much third party was then or anything. No, um, I don't know anybody that developed for it. The um, I know Tandy talked to TSC. They were either going to put Flex on the color computer or OS 9. And for whatever reason, they ended up with OS 9. Um, and once they decided to go with OS 9, it would, you know, there would be no reason to go back to TSC for, uh, for Uniflex, you know, because the OS 9 was more natural upgrade uh, for them. But, you know, I, I, I didn't really, I never talked to TSC much. I think they went out of business uh, not long after uh, that period of time. When I went down there to license it, there was very few people there, you know, maybe a half a dozen people. And one of the other questions I was going to ask you, I kind of forgot about it until we just started talking about it, but there was a rival flex for the Cocoa by Spectral Associates, I think it was, if I remember. Yeah. How, yeah. How, did, how did TSC do that where they would license it twice for the same platform? Oh, well, I didn't, I didn't uh, get a, you know, you know uh, I, I said this before, I probably forgot. When I went down there, I had no idea what the market would be. And they wanted $12,000 for an exclusive license. And I didn't think I would sell enough you know, to, to pay for that. I think we sold enough in the first month that they were. So I got a non-exclusive license for six grand. And that allowed anybody else to come out with Flex for the color computer. Um, so they did. It, it didn't really bother me. I found out surreptitiously that they were um, uh, coming out with it and what the pricing was. And I dropped the price that we were selling. I think we were selling it for 200 bucks down to meet their price. But, you know, they they would sell the operating system and then the people would come to me to buy all the other software. You know, so the, the operating system was just one part of what we were selling. It wasn't everything. So I may, I should have kept the price up higher or longer, but because I could, I did drop it. Um, so they weren't really competition to me. And, and I asked them, I remember with one of the Coca Fest, I said, geez, why are you, uh, why did you bother doing this? And he said, well, we see those big ads and we thought you were making a lot of money and we wanted to get in on it. Okay. <laughs> see, they thought you were a big business too with the small yeah. ads. <laughs> <Well, laughs> they had no idea. One of the things they, I think it was them. I won't, I won't blame them for it, but somebody who was advertising flex um put an ad in that was right on the page next to mine uh for flex but they forgot one key thing they didn't put their name at the bottom of the ad so when people call would call us up they assumed that we put that ad and then we'll tell you yeah you know <laughs> whatever, yeah, we'll whatever it was yeah we'll suck <laughs> you that you know so and uh 
And I, I saw the guy at one of the Cocoa Fests, and I, you know, I gave him a little razzing about that. You know, geez, thanks for the free ad. <laughs> you know, <I> appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> Did you make any money on that? I said, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. It was a lot of fun. I think the Cocoa Fests were the most fun. Um, that was another thing that I had no expectation, no idea what was going to happen. Uh, it was my traveling companion. Um, the uh, the first one, <laughs> we I was, I was still wearing, it was in the winter, as I recall, I still had boots on. And we got down to the booth, and they started the thing, and there were so many people, you couldn't get out in the aisle. So I could never go and change, and I ended up wearing my boots for the whole evening, you know, until the thing was over with. And uh, I'd never given a talk to anyone. I'd never done any, uh, you know, talking in front of people. And Lon came over to me the next day, and he said, uh, whoever it was, so-and-so uh, backed out of uh, giving me a talk. You want to give a talk to these people, you know? And, ah, sure, what the heck? I didn't think anything of it. And um, so I went up, and I walked into the room. I, I guess they announced it or something. I walked into the room, and it was full. There was, I don't know how many people in it, but there was a fair number of people, 50, 100 people, whatever. It was a small room. I walked in, looked at him, turned around, and walked back out again and go, holy crap, what have I got myself into? You know, I, I, just, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I had no notes. You know, I, I had a, there's a video of it around somewhere. I had a little piece of paper with a couple of things written on it, you know, that I was, you know, key points. And I went back in and uh, and talked. I think Rich was there and he, he came in and helped me out. And that's that started the uh, doing those uh, talks. After doing a few of them, I got more comfortable doing them. But the first one was... It was, a bit, it was just like doing the first column. Um, I think that was for Lon, uh, you know, Rainbow. Uh, he said, well, you know, I won't pay you for it, but it'd be great, you know, advertising for your company. You know, why don't you do this column? The first one took me two or three days to write. It was, it was just torture because I'm not a writer. Not at that time, at any rate. <clears throat> but towards the end, I was knocking them off in a couple hours. But the first one was tough, you know. And I had a lot. I had a lot of fun writing those too. Like I say, I was uh, going after Tandy. You know, I went after them with level one. You know, I said, "Well, you know, you can't." Oh yeah, do that. I remember that. Oh, you know, Jesus, you know, and maybe maybe I was instrumental in getting them to come out with level two. Who knows? You know, but uh, uh, I probably burned some bridges there that I <laughs> shouldn't have. You know, but yeah, were, were you ever? Um kind of put off by the fact that uh, Tandy stores wouldn't advertise for any third-party people like yourselves? No, I understood. I understood why. The um, companies like that, uh, shelf space is measured in inches, and each inch of shelf space has to generate a certain amount of income, or it's not worth doing. And third-party stuff, uh, you couldn't put it on the shelf. They did come out with a catalog, though, at, at some point. Yeah, that express order or whatever it's called, I think, yeah. Yeah, um, but that's true with all companies, Walmart, all these things. Products have to sell to justify the amount of, of space they take up in the store or on the shelf. And the third-party stuff wasn't, you know. And it was, I was talking to guys at Tandy about it, and at that time, I think they had, what, 8,000 stores, something like that? And if you were going to, if you got them to uh, handle your product, you had to get 8,000 to put on the shelves, plus another few 8,000 for inventory. 
So, you know, they were talking about an, a major investment for any product. So you see one thing on the shelf and you realize, well, there's 8,000 stores. So each store has got the same thing. It, it's a major investment, you know. There's a very interesting, it's several years old now, about a company that had some kind of weird paper product they were trying to sell it to Walmart. And Walmart, uh, it took them quite a long time. Walmart helped them reduce the size of the product so they got more out of a signature. Sheet of paper is a signature. You got this big sheet of paper, and and they had they weren't getting very many copies of their product out of this signature. And they said, well, if you change the design a little bit, you get one or two more, and you can drop the price, and we can sell it for less money. So that's the kind of things you have to go through if you're going to sell to a major real retail. And uh, we weren't anywhere near close to that. I think a, a typical Radio Shack's, you know, a single Radio Shack store probably did as much business as we did. You know, so uh, we weren't we weren't that. I refer to myself as we were a big fish in a little pond. <laughs> I was very small. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. so no, I wasn't upset about that at all. I understood the rationale for it. No, no. Uh, I learned I learned a lot from that experience. So, got anything else? They keep asking me questions. I remember this stuff. I know we probably take a break pretty soon, huh? Yeah. Let's. I think you have a hard out here coming up in half an hour. Yeah. So. Yeah. We've got a. I've got a uh, uh, an event going on uh, at at four ish. But, okay. Uh, okay. I, I have one last question. It's totally unrelated to the cocoa or computers in general. Um, okay. After you retired, I mean, you you did some books, like we mentioned, and. and talked about a little bit there but you also did acting in a play like you said doing a line how did that come about like how did you come from being a dental lab guy and a computer geek into being an author and a, you know a, a, an actor well we were setting right where we are now in a uh, uh in an airstream trailer at that time down here and i was on facebook and uh, joe my uh, partner in crime Said, we had to get out and do something, you know, we got to go do something. So I'm looking at Facebook and I said, oh, look at this, the Cocoa Village Playhouse is having auditions tomorrow. Let's go do that. I said, well, they're not going to take us. I said, no, oh, it's fun. Let's go do the audition just for the hell of it, you know. And so that's what we the did. The name was Coco? Did I say Coco? Uh, yeah, Cocoa Village, well, Cocoa, Florida. Oh. Yeah. So the, the, <laughs> okay. historic, the historic Cocoa Village Playhouse. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize the connection when I was saying it. Gee. So we went and uh, we went and, and did the audition. Never did it before. You know, got up, had to sing, do a little dancing and stuff. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I, I, it's up on my YouTube page. You want to really get bored? Um, <clears throat> that's where all of the uh, the cocoa stuff is on uh, on a YouTube page. Just look for Frank Hogg on, on YouTube, and you'll find it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyway. Um, so there, it, the the play was something called Sugar. It was based on Some Like It Hot, if you remember that movie. And they needed uh, old, dirty old men, you know. <laughs> they saw your ads, obviously. Yeah, it was, I, I didn't really have to act much. Uh, you know, I fell right into it. Uh, and so I and so I did it. And, and Joe, uh, my partner, she uh, worked with the. Uh, uh, wardrobe people it was it was a very interesting experience um i don't want to do it again though because it was a bitch trying to remember the lines and if, if i had something with more lines it would 
it would be impossible at, at my age and what you know few synapses I have that are still clicking together you know it just it's just very hard so you give all these older actors credit huh for learning well it was um, it was an experience I had one line uh, three words I forget what it was what's the story something or other um, I played several different parts as as a lot of people did um, you know if, I think I had four different costume changes you know uh, so I was on stage a lot. And I loved it. It was just a lot of fun. You know, I'm a natural born ham, so I didn't have any problem <laughs> doing this stuff. And, and, and the, the, the dirty old man scene, we were, we were dressed in these white, uh, uh, like Panama suits. It was down, we're supposed to be down in Florida, uh, on this veranda and the girls in the girl band were coming in, you know, for the first time. One of them was uh, Marilyn Monroe, you know, that she was the sugar that was in the, in the play. And so we were supposed to ogle the girls as they came in, which was, you know, it was fun to do. <laughs> and that's what Not we did. That was six of us doing that. So, that so you went a, into this audition without any thought that you'd actually get the part? No, I, I, we were just going to... to do something different that we hadn't done before so let's go audition and i was shocked when they called me and and said that uh, i was part of the ensemble and uh <laughs> you know, so what's that mean i didn't know what it meant i didn't know about it. i never did any of this kind of stuff in school you know a lot of you guys probably did plays in school or anything. i had no experience nope. at all. completely um uh, new to me and it was it was just a blast you know, I, I, I wrote a book about it, did some, uh, the book's got a lot of pictures. The girl that played Sugar, I think, was prettier than uh, than Marilyn. Uh, and, you know, in the movie, something like a half, there's these two male musicians, and they're running away from the mob in Chicago. That's the whole premise of the thing. And so they get dressed up as girls and join this girls band, uh, Tony Curtis and I forget the other guy's name. So the guy that was playing, <clears throat> one of them, we're in the, we're Jack Lemon? Uh, yeah, Jack, Jack yeah. Lemon, Tony Kirk. Uh, I think the guy that was playing Jack Lemon in the in the play, you know, we were getting our costumes while we were rehearsing. You'd get him piecemeal. You'd get, you know, a couple of pieces. So he had the thing that he was wearing underneath his, his clothes, but he didn't have his boobs yet. You know, he just... Uh, <laughs> so, he, so he had the thing, whatever it's called. You know, it's called uh, so... We're, we're in the hallway and he just got his boobs. So he's got him stuff in the bra. And he says to Caroline, the girl that was playing the uh, part of Sugar, the Marilyn Monroe part, she says, what do you think? Now they look and she, she's feeling, she says, well, they feel pretty good. And I says, well, you know, now it's your turn. I'm just trying to help, you know? <laughs> so did you but, get slapped? Uh, yeah, I, well, I got a good laugh out of it, but. Uh, it was it was a hoot. It was a lot of fun. That was in 2015, I think. Yeah, 16, whatever. But uh, uh, after that, I, I, well, after I did, I did that book and the and the caravan book at the same time. Uh, actually, I finished most of the caravan book, but I published the sugar book while it was still fresh in my memory, you know, and then the caravan book shortly thereafter. There's a lot of work to do in those things, you know, to writing those books. Um, a lot of work. And uh, 
And then when you get it done, some people call you up and say, you know, you have this error on page 23. Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> you can proofread and proofread. Someone told me the way to proofread was to read it backwards. You know, you'll catch things if you read it backwards. Read it out loud. My wife uh, proofreads um, papers that are written for, you know, um, she does Alzheimer's research. So, mm. you know, they're 800 letter words and stuff. And uh, she does really well at that. It's, yeah. uh, I think it's a talent. Well, Joe was my major proofreader. And uh, so any errors like to blame on her, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my favorite quote from you in your blog, when you were talking about writing it, is that, you know, you had a lot of people complained about your punctuation and stuff like you'd be missing commas. <laughs> and you said that in one of your articles, you would just put a whole bunch of extra commas and periods at the very end that people could insert wherever they were needed. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, well, you may not know this and I'm not bragging, but I, my formal education ended in the 10th grade. So I never, finished high school and uh you know so everything i you know i i would just go out and, you know i learned how to program by i bought a book on how to program you know so everything i've learned to do i just learned to do by reading books about it and uh so writing was never something that i did i mean i do a lot of it now but uh, back then in the early days you know i didn't you know i was neophyte didn't know how to do it but I learned. I put commas in now. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember putting all those periods up in commas at the end of the thing. So I think that was the blog, the Preble NY uh, blog. I think I did that. Uh, I don't remember I, which one it was. I just remember reading it. It was just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, in 2000, I was involved in Preble, New York. We were there were two things were happening. They were bringing in a Flying J truck stop to Preble. Preble is a tiny little town of 1,500 people. And the uh, ski resort, uh, Song Mountain Ski Resort, wanted to pump water out of Song Lake, where I lived, uh, to make snow. So we were fighting that, and another group was fighting Flying J, and we kind of joined together to fight City Hall. I never thought we'd win either one. We ended up winning both. Um, but in 2000, it got to be rather tedious uh, calling all this. Maybe a little, little side note on this. You know, like Walmart wants to come into a place everybody's against it. They know that it takes 18 months. And what happens is the first meeting, a couple hundred people show up. The next meeting, maybe 150. 18 months later, there's three or four. You know, at that point, they've whittled it down. The opposition is unimportant. And it takes 18 months. And there's actually, I'm told, uh, classes that lawyers take on how to bring in unwanted companies in into an area. So in 2000, we were having that problem. And there was a meeting, you know, geez, how do you get all these people to meet? You've got to make a lot of phone calls and you try to get people to make phone calls for you. It was just too difficult. And the idea came, well, let's, let's do a web page. And then we just tell everybody to look at the web page and you would get that. And that's what started that, that web page. And it was used for an accident. So ProbleNY.com was one of the first activist web uses, you know, and this is 18 years ago, a long time ago. Um, it's still up. I don't do much with it anymore, but it, anything you see on there now would be right wing politics stuff. So you might be, <laughs> if you're to the left, you don't want to go there, <laughs> so, but I don't, I don't update it very often. Uh, mostly just don't get around to it. But, uh, 
that's where that was. I do remember that now. You're telling that's where all the commas and the periods were. Yeah, so, right at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny. You know, you had a town of 1,500 people, and the first uh, night that the web page went live, you know, you could check to see how many people accessed it. It was like 250. Oh, well, that's a lot of people, you know. And uh, the next day it was five or 600. It was like, wow, who's reading this thing? And then it got up to 500,000 hits a month for this little little web page in Preble. And it was because everybody in Cortland County, where Preble is, uh, were looking at it because it was so new. You didn't have, you know, that kind of thing going on. Um, and as you said earlier, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'll say what I think, you know, and uh, I didn't have any family in Preble. Uh, I was uh, living there by myself at that point in time. And uh, so there was nothing the opposition could threaten me with. You know, I didn't have kids in school that would be harassed and that sort of thing that a lot of other people had to deal with whenever they bought, uh, you know, the, the powers that be, you know, as a little fiefdom in trouble, which I think is still active. They love me there. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to meetings, the town board meetings, and everybody, I knew everybody hated me. And it was like, well, this is kind of hard, you know, what am I going to do? So I would say to myself before I walked in, all the women want me and all the men are jealous. And I would walk in with a big smile on my face, you know. <laughs> one day, and I, one day back, I, I was in, I got in there just when they started, you know, like I was walking in the door when they started. And I said to the uh, town supervisor, geez, thanks for waiting. And she's, we didn't wait for you. <laughs> she was so <laughs> So, but that's another thing that I don't ever want to do again. Another thing that takes a lot of time. You know, if you want to be an activist and, and go fight some cause, you know, you're going to have to devote a lot of time to doing it. It can't just be a part-time job. So, oh, well. But now I'm just traveling around the country, seeing stuff that I've never seen. I've been in a lot of places with a color computer, but, you know, I know a lot of the insides of, uh, of hotels but never got to visit any of the places that we actually went to, you know, and just too busy. By the time the end of the show, we had a ton of stuff that you had to go back and ship, you know, that the people ordered that, you know, we would run out of product. Um, and by the way, that my favorite show was the one in Chicago, because that's the one the Canadians came to. And the Canadians <laughs> came down with <laughs> no credit cards with the Canadians. You know? <laughs> One guy would come up, you know, and he'd order five or six hundred dollars worth of stuff because he was buying stuff for everybody. Everybody else, home. yeah. Yeah. So, oh, man. You get your bulk uh, order, you drive to the show, and then you, you have to come back with your van filled with stuff. Yeah. 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 So, save the shipping. I mean, we save money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't have to pay. Uh, uh, what is it you have to i can't think of the well, back then it was like duty and tariffs and all that stuff and yeah i think it was 25 percent duty and so they you know they were smuggling it back in yeah uh so I, i'm all for it you know <laughs> it <works> okay <laughs> for me. so i'm running up against it now um you don't miss the snow in syracuse anymore i haven't been back for 10 years and we were out at Clater Lake State Park, and I was a little annoyed when we went up to uh, look at the Clater Lake. It's at 7,000 or 8,000 foot altitude, and there was snow up there. And I was annoyed because I had swore that I was never going to get involved in <laughs> So I was like, ah, damn, there's snow here. But it wasn't on the road or anything. It was just in piles off to the side. But that's the only snow I've seen in 10 years. 
you know. I used to live in Rochester. I know. I know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. It's something. Uh, I moved to Virginia, for, you know, in two thousand eight. I think it was. We only had seventeen inches of snow there in Radford. Beautiful section in the Blue Ridge Mountains. One of the, one of the nicest looking areas in the country is the Blue Ridge Mountains. Highly recommend it. And uh, but after a few years, my blood thinned out, and I didn't like even the 17 inches of snow that was coming down in the winter, and <laughs> it started to come down to Florida in the winter. And uh, I'll be doing that from here on out. So and we're getting ready. We're going on four or five caravans next year um, with the Airstream Group, uh, and then come back here for the winter. Don't know what we'll do the year after that. Probably some more caravans. But that's just oh. a lot of fun. Hope you come out towards uh, Arizona and say hi. Yeah, I was there. I drove through Arizona. It was 105 degrees. How can you stand that? <laughs> oh, it's we, we had 119. Yeah. Oh man, you don't I want to stand in snow. the sun <laughs> when the you can smell the, the wood in the cabinets was shrinking. Yeah, you, <laughs> when you could be out in the sun and smell the permanent press coming out of your pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well. Well, we'll have to do this again sometime. That was a lot of fun, although I don't know what else I could tell you. Um, I'll, I'll go dig out some of the old ads and some of the old correspondence we had. Maybe I can come up with a few new questions. Yeah. Well, give me a heads up. So give me a chance to remember. I mean, you're hitting me with stuff. I remember that, you know, and uh, uh, some of the names I, I don't remember. And uh, it was a long time ago. It was only how long ago was that? Thirty years now. Yep. Uh, it's in the ninety uh -huh. when the when it died. Uh, man. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and if you have any other contacts, you know that you think they might uh, enjoy coming on and sharing stories with us, we'd appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. yeah well, like your you your me. nephew uh, is he still kicking around and yeah, yeah. doing programming and or what? I, matter of fact, when I I got an email from the. Uh, uh, the Chicago people that do the Cocoa Fest, and I sent it to them. I says, you know, they, they're still doing this damn Cocoa Fest after all these years, you know. And we had a chuckle over that. And uh, yeah, he would, he might be interested. He's sort of semi-retired. He, uh, um, yeah, well, I'll send him an email, have him take a look at this. And when do you put this live, or send me the link to wherever this is, um, and I'll send it to him. And uh, Tell him that, you know, you were, because uh, he could give you a lot of the technical stuff. He is a one smart cookie, um, you know, designs memory chips now and stuff like that. So uh, he could tell you all the stuff that I couldn't tell you. Is he on Facebook much? Because we have groups on there. Uh, I don't really know. I never looked. <laughs> Rich Hogg. Um, I saw an article that he... Uh, you know, I was looking for some of your stuff to maybe show on the show, and uh, I ran across his name, and I thought, oh, it's, maybe that's his son. <laughs> no, it's not my son. I don't have any kids, but he's been nephew. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah. Well, send me the link to it, and I'll send it to him and tell him you guys are interested in having him come on. Yeah, but it's I usually posted on YouTube within within a day, and then oh, okay. uh, comes out as a podcast on iTunes, et cetera, you know, within a couple of days after that. So, All right, great. Alrighty, guys. Okay. Well, thanks for dropping by. I know you got a hard out here, so I don't want to yeah. keep you any longer. How do I get out? Oh, end meeting. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
<laughs> well, if I click on this, I'm gone. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. Frank. Thank, thanks for being on. Thanks for yeah. answering all of our questions. Thanks You're for the product. Thanks for my TC9 sitting just over here. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate the trip down memory lane. Looking forward Glad to you came. Okay. Thanks, Bye-bye. Frank. Yeah. See you later. Bye. Thanks. And Grant, this is a perfect time for a break. All right. I will go ahead and start the commercials here. Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. And when you're done watching, come over and listen to the Coco Crew podcast. Hi, this is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. We are the Coco Crew. I hope you're enjoying watching Stevie Stroh play video games, especially the Coco games. And when you're done with that, check out our podcast at CocoCrew.org. Did that happen to anybody else? Yeah. 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 We'll catch all the latest the information about abruptly. Frank took us all down. Yes, he did. I'm talking about the Coco Podcast. Dig it each month. Join John, Neil, and Mike as they lay down the latest news and information about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer and Interviews, tech segments, and discussions all about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer. Strut your fine self over to www.cococrew.org and start listening today. The Coco Crew Podcast. Keeping it Coco. after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroke. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all 
to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer three that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself a, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's color computer three from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The color computer three makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word processing. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced color computer three, only at Radio Shack. All right, we are now back. Thanks, Curtis, very much for doing that uh, interview. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so um, you want to run through news next? I don't know if you have all the links up from the, the list I sent earlier. Yep, I have quite a few here. We'll just go right down the list here. Okay, surprise me with the order. <laughs> <laughs> First up will be uh, Digger 3. Yes, this is uh, Chet Simpson's little surprise for the Christmas holidays where uh, he took his old uh, Digger 2 slash Gold Runner 2000 code and with some help from Paul Thayer of Timberman fame, um, did some updated graphics and stuff. And, and the game's really impressive. And it, considering it, you know, it was cranked out in two weeks, um, it's quite impressive. And it's a free download. You can get it on the Facebook group just under Files. And uh, he put some demos up here, like we're watching now, of some of the later levels. There's six levels, I think, on the on the demo. But he's planning on taking it uh, for an official release, if he can, by the next uh, Coco Fest at the beginning of May. And he expects it to have like 40 levels by that time, and wow. possibly a level editor as well. So, but very impressive for a two-week turnaround from the old Gold Runner 2000 Digger 2 code. Really nice graphics too. Have you had a chance to play it, anybody here on the panel? No. I have not. Yeah, I haven't even downloaded it. I don't... <laughs> I've i played it a couple times now. I've played it in VCC. It works in VCC, MAME, in the real thing. Requires 512K, 6809 only at this point, or 6809 or 6809 at this point. Um, I've gotten up to level three, and it, it gets really hard really fast. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> rage quitting a lot during this game. So You haven't well, beat it yet? No, no. I've like I said, I've gotten up to level three, and he does have a little warp codes like he had on the original Gold Runner 2002, where after you complete a level, you can write down a code, and then when you start playing it again, you can skip to that level by punching in the code, which is kind of nice. You don't have to replay the whole thing through, like say Stevie was doing with uh, Downland. Cool. All right. The next one up is Nitrous Nine Beta Three Graphics Speed Up Pre-Release. Yeah, if you want to just throw those videos on, I'll kind of explain a little bit what's going on. I released the Nitrous 9 Beta 2 upgrade, which had some graphic speedups for get put buffers and stuff, which we demonstrated on a previous show. Um, so Beta 3, I've been just going through and optimizing more. And the main thing I've optimized here is the horizontal line drop, because that 
routine gets called by a lot of routines. So if you're doing filled circles, filled ellipses, if you're doing um, overlay windows, if you're drawing, you know, filled boxes and rectangles, or even just straight boxes, the horizontal line parts are sped up. So this has the benefit, and this is on the 6809 for the primary part, it has the benefit that basically all the graphics, almost all the graphics routines are speeding up. And you know, I did some demos here, like this is the uh, GUI B 3.0 that Sean Driscoll did to do some you know more fancier drawing. We've got the 6.8 on the left, the 6.3 on the right, and it's it's definitely running a fair bit faster. So all your existing software will start to run more quickly and, and more fluidly. Um, this is one where during the bars, so beta 2, the release from November 30th is on the far left, the beta 3 with the update is in the middle, and the 6.3.9 native version is on the right. So 6.3.9 still will be faster. So it's not reason to not upgrade. So I, I encourage everybody to upgrade that you can. But um, it's definitely closer. And one thing I wanted to do was have Nitrous 9's graphics libraries running fast enough natively that people can write some decent games even without doing you know direct manipulation of the screen. So this is uh, another one here. I'm doing the filled circle, filled ellipse that randomly picks between the two. Beta 2 in the left, beta 3 in the middle, 6.3.9 on the right. It's doing, because I've seeded the R&D exactly the same, it's doing the exact same sequence of, of filled circles and ellipses. So it actually ends up the screen looking exactly the same. And you can see how much faster it is in the beta 2 that you guys have right now. So I was quite happy with the speed increase. Um, and particularly uh, the fill screen, doing a CLS on a graphic screen is much, much faster, um, like three to four times faster than it was originally. And the last video I think shows that which only takes a few seconds to play. Do you have that one, Grant, or? Yep, it's coming. Yeah. So left is beta two and the right is beta three and it's clearing the screen, a 32K graphic screen, a hundred times to a random color. So the uh, the new version took about three, four seconds, or no, seven seconds, I think it is. And the old one took like 24 seconds. So it's literally three times faster. So. I know I'm doing some more tweaks. There's some minor changes to the circle and ellipse and flood fill functions and stuff. The flood fill should be sped up as well in the new version. Um, because the speed ups are greater than I was originally expecting too. And originally I was planning on holding off beta three until probably sometime in New York because I wanted to do some other updates on some other things too, but that's going to take some time. So I'm now steering towards that right before Christmas, I'll do in the tradition of uh, Kevin Darling when he released his Christmas fast grift patch back in 1988 which gave us the first get put buffer speed up some years and years ago is that I'll release beta three before Christmas uh, just so that people will have these new faster graphics libraries if they want to start writing some stuff or even just playing around with old programs that use those functions because they'll all be faster now. So cool. That'll be my all Christmas right. present to the community. It does, doesn't match digger three, but you know, it's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one up is Blitzport VZ. 200 to Dragon 32 and Coco. Yeah, this was posted on Facebook by Matt Voss. He took a program from the old uh, VZ, VZ, depending on where you live, 200, which is a VDG-based computer. And he ported it initially to the Dragon, and then he since ported it to the uh, Coco 1 and 2 and 3. And it's kind of like a little bomber thing, but he's got the download available for that if anybody wants to try that. It's uh, one of the old semi-graphics games, so it was a nice little download. All right. And the next one is a couple of people, but not others, are having problems with the Broomerang 2 Meg and MPI. With yeah, I was kind of hoping that Ed Snyder, uh, Richard Lobieski, and Bill Noble, Bill has the problem himself, and there's a few others that do too, at least one I know of, 
and everybody's been trying to figure out exactly what's going on. They're kind of thinking if it's a timing issue, it might be a certain mix of certain cards or a certain gimme chip. And, and as we were talking with Frank earlier, the gimme chip itself had timing problems that were random between chips, even of the same year. Um, and they might be something related to that. I know they've been kind of discussing back and forth. I haven't had a chance to check Discord this morning to see if they've actually gotten any further than that. But uh, Ed and, and Richard both tried to duplicate it using the same hardware, like the Boomerang <clears throat> with an 86 gimme and an 87 gimme and a mini MPI, and neither of them can duplicate the problem. So it seems to be a very intermittent problem with only certain configurations of machines. So hopefully they do manage to uh, figure something out. Uh, Grant, I was just going to mention too, you're, you're echoing like crazy again. So if you want to just bring up the screens, I'll just uh, take it okay. away. So if you want to bring up the next one, which I think was Carlos. Oh, wait, it just came out and pinned here. That's why I can't see it. Okay. So Carlos has got two things that are coming up here. He's um, making replacement badges. Now, this one here is the uh, RAM badge that the older D&E boards on the Coca-1 had. Um, that's the one where the, the Radio Shack label is off-centered on the left instead of centered. And they actually had the RAM badge, and you'd replace it as you got upgrades. You had 4K, 16K, 32K, and we never had an official 64K RAM badge. So he's making these. He's got his first prototypes, I think, from China, and he's got to add some adhesive and stuff in the bottom, but uh, he's planning on selling these so anybody who actually has one of the old D&E boards uh, will be able to actually have the proper label on the top to tell you exactly how much RAM you have in your machine. And then he's also doing a replacement one for the Coco 3. And this is tied into the Boomerang and uh, the upcoming Cloud 9 board for doing 2 megagram. So instead of saying, you know, 128K Coco, we've seen, I think Mike wrote, uh, Myro had a 512K version. Now we've got a 2 meg banner strip, and that's a, a different link I had there. Grant, if you have that one kicking around, has a picture of it. Um, but basically, I'll have one for the 2 meg boards now, too, that actually will say that your, your Coco 3 has got 2 meg of RAM in it. Yeah, I ordered one of those, and uh, they're very nice, very sharp. Oh, you got one already? So they're shipping? Yep. yep. Yeah, his, his 2 meg one, had, yeah, I think he had a, on the post there or something, I, I says about sending, and uh, and maybe that's a little different. But yeah, I have one that says 2 meg on it. I just yeah, got here recently. So how, how easy is it to glue that on and take the old one off I've, since I've never done it? I haven't tried it yet. I just have it. I just got it last week. Okay. So yeah, I'll be kind of curious to see how well it peels off. So I'm I'm doing it as part of a... I have a Coco 3 board. I have a Coco 3 power supply. I'm trying to get a keyboard. I'm basically kind of throwing together a Coco 3 that's going to be all modded up with all the different accessories and stuff. Cool. So keep, keep us wanna... posting that. I'd like to see how that all turns out. I will. Maybe you can use a uh, hairdryer to heat up the old uh, label. <laughs> Same way we used and, to take uh, the warranty stickers off. off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how I was thinking about doing something to get a little bit of heat because it's just like a double-sided tape. I think that really is. Yeah, yeah. All right, next up, number seven. Well, oh, you fixed your echo. Oh, is it gone? Yep. Well, kind of. <laughs> I heard a little. <laughs> I'm not hearing it like as as bad as it was. It wasn't as bad as it was. Okay, Retro Rick. Ricks. Yeah, Rick, Rick, Richard uh, Kelly. Um, he's been talking about making this little disc magazine like we kind of had in the old days with T&D and stuff. Um, and he's actually got his first issue out now that you can uh, download and take a look at. So, I don't know if you want to try to bring up the... Is it a disc or a PDF? I can't even remember. I think it's it's a, disc. a disc. Yeah. And I think there's a PDF with it. 
so people can download that, and it's actually kind of the first um, active disc slash tape magazine we've had in a while. We've had a few attempts to do uh, newsletters type stuff. We had uh, Mary's from way back, and then uh, Ron and a few others were working on the Rainbow Online type thing. Um, so it's kind of interesting seeing this. It might be a way to gather up some of the new software all in one place too, so people don't have to hunt down yet. Where do I find the bomb bombing uh, blitz ports, and where do I find Digger Three and stuff? You might be able to just you know kind of amalgamate them all into a a disc magazine maybe we can do it you know every month or every so many months and kind of gather up all the new stuff in one shot and then some original stuff just for the magazine itself so that would be interesting cool so that's on facebook as well all right and then uh number eight is mention worst game and illegal things discussions yeah. on these, these are um posts that basically are, are put up on facebook to start a discussion um now, both of these have gotten a little bit of controversy, I'll say. Um, one is, what is what do you think the worst game is for the Coco? Well, that's very subjective. Um, and, and some people you might take offense if you say that all their games suck or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's I, I would have worded it a bit differently. I wouldn't have said worst game. I would say the game you personally least like. Because I, I saw somebody said that, you know, Dagger has the worst game because it's hard to type all the commands fast enough when that Quite frankly, it's one of the best games, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and, and some other people as well. So it's definitely going to be a differing opinion between everything. And also, you got to take into context some of these games. You know, if it's a first game, a 13-year-old wrote the first machine language program ever. Well, you're not expecting Steve Bjork level, you know, level of programming at that point. So you have to take that into consideration. It's just like when Stevie was doing his early game reviews, and he'd say, you know, this this version of Pac-Man really sucks. Well, that version only required 4K to run. So in within its merits or within its its context, it's actually a very good one. So <laughs> a lot of stuff that to be taken into consideration. But there's a lot of interesting you know games being mentioned, and and, and it's funny to see the differing of opinion where some people will mention a certain game. No, actually that was quite good. I don't know what you're talking about. So it just shows you <laughs> humanity is quite diverse. So My there's a whole red growing up with color script set. <laughs> well, like I said, Color Scripts it was one of the easiest games to get high scores in because you could just punch in the high score table directly and you were ready to go. So <laughs> I always got first place in Scripts. It. <laughs> <laughs> Same and with what Tell about this illegal things? Writer, I was just awesome at those games. Um, the second one that was kind of dis- <laughs> the second one that was discussed there, I think Chet started that one was uh, asking what illegal things have been, you've been done on a Coco and. I don't know what the statute of limitations is in the States. We don't really have one up here in Canada. Um, so if it's a felony, you can you can talk about it 50 years later. You can still get nailed for it. So I don't. that's a pretty risky one to start discussing. I think the one we can all agree that most of us did is probably software piracy. And most of us were like teenagers or kids when they were doing this. And you couldn't afford all these new games at 40 bucks a crack type thing. So mm-hmm. I, Software piracy? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not condoning it, but at the time, it, it wouldn't have been a lost sale because I couldn't have afforded those games anyway. And when I did get older and I had my own job and stuff, I did start buying software. So, I mean, I tried to make up for it as much as I could. And Stevie's mentioned this before. Some of the original authors, I mean, if they set up a, a kind of a donate site and put their games up for download, people would probably give them some money. You know, it might be 30 years late, but at least they get something out of it. And I've even mentioned this to Chet and stuff. And I mean, Chet, he, he his philosophy nowadays is he would rather just see his game out getting played as opposed to making money off of it which is very altruistic of him i I don't think everybody has to agree with that that sentimentality so if somebody wants to re-release their stuff and wants to make just a few bucks i mean you're not going to make a living off it or anything but 
it would it would be nice to have a way to you know donate some money towards you know the guilt guilt payment i think is what steve felt <laughs> guilty from pirating it back in the day and you can help the author out now when they're when so they're curtis what is the most the illegal thing you've ever done i'm not saying <laughs> we have no statute of limitations in canada like i said i, I could get nailed for it if i started Party i went far beyond plus off of piracy let's just put it that way <laughs> does breaking the warranty sticker count <laughs> did you tear a tag off of a mattress, mattress or yeah. pillow or something <laughs> yeah and i hung them out you know to like the vikings did with you know heads on a pike type thing afterwards to warn people off <laughs> one could say hey, joining this group <laughs> anyway it's an interesting topic but like i said it, it can be sort of kind of self-incriminating incriminating i should say so um I'm not going to dwell on it too much longer. If there's, a, if you guys want to get involved in the discussion, like I said, I think the law in the states is different. I think mm -hmm. you guys do have a statute of limitations on some of these things, where if you talked about it now, you wouldn't have to worry about anything afterwards. Yeah, some things don't have a statute of limitations, but most are seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So those are two big discussions. I think there's probably 40 to 50 comments on each of those two. So if you want to get involved with it, head to Facebook and. The, Get involved if you want. It would be a good read. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number nine was William Astle. Yes. And you'll have to bring up Discord for this one to see the screenshot. He's been going through this Spectral Associates uh, Unraveled series, which is disassembling the basic, extended basic, disk basic, and super extended basic ROMs <clears throat> and, and recommenting because there's a lot of mistakes. I mean, it was kind of rushed just to get the information out to people uh, who wanted to modify the ROM or learn how, or learn how to hook into it and stuff. And he discovered there's some extra characters. There's an extra mini character set of uh, characters for the H-Pin command on the Coco 3 that are not part of the standard gimme duplicate set that you normally see when you do an H-Pin. And uh, if you can bring up the uh, picture of that one. What uh, room is it in? Uh, la, 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 la. Uh, number basic, tag, tag basic. Might have scrolled up a little bit. But anyway, he found a bunch of little graphical bits uh, for like close window, resize windows, scroll bar arrows, um, background for text with horizontal lines and stuff like that. And actually, they're all duplicates of what Microware put into MultiView, uh, some of which were used in, in the MultiView that was released by them. Some of it was planned for the future in the level two upgrade, which had stuff like resizing windows and movable windows and all that kind of stuff. But uh, and I hadn't known this until he did it either. That uh, some of those are actually built into the ROM and the basic. And if you do a couple of pokes to tell it where to go find a font, you can enable that set and actually use it yourself. In fact, you can poke back and forth between the two. Yeah. So here, for example, we're seeing the left four are these scroll arrows, the standard stock multi-view ones that came with multi-view back in 1987, 88. <clears throat> and then you got some resize windows, and you've got the Tandy menu, which is that kind of hourglass looking thing which is actually in multi-view even to this day and we've changed a few of these in multi-view ourselves on, on nitrous 9 and ease of use just to make them look more 3d and, and look better but uh yeah uh, these were designed by microware and actually put into both products they were put in the super extended basic and into uh multi-view itself so that was an interesting find i'd never heard of that before i didn't hmm. never knew they were in there so um he says he's going to be releasing the uh the disassembly update uh, with new comments and stuff <clears throat> and i'm assuming he'll also tell you how to get that mode enabled so you can actually use them in your own programs in basic so are those like sprites of some kind or no they're character cells like eight oh, by okay. eight character cells Just for like eight. A, okay yeah what what are their uh, dots eight by eight. Oh, are they yeah okay. same as they are in um os9 too cool 
All so. right. And then the next one is number 10. And this is for our very own Ron DeVoe. Mm -hmm. Did your parents use your color computer? Yeah, and I thought this would be an interesting one, not only to see what the responses that Ron's got on the page, but also if anybody in the panel here hasn't answered it, and I haven't had time, uh, to go tell us of their own experiences with their parents using the computer. And I imagine for the people on the Facebook page in particular, because we've got some younger people coming into the retro hobby and getting these old computers that were around before they were born. So in their cases, they might be that that was their parents' computer, and of course they used it a lot. And us older generation that got Cocos as, you know, teenagers or kids or you know in early 20s ourselves probably our parents had no idea what a computer even was <laughs> no interest in it whatsoever ron will be an exception to this i know yeah that's my my dad he uh he died in 92 so that's before he passed but um yeah i'd already been married and got my cocoa first one was 300 bucks and i included all that you see there including the tv well that particular tv is the club's tv we had a our cocoa club had a TV that they loaned out to people. And so uh, your dad was one that used. Yes, he did. He uh, he was a typer. He used to type on a you know typewriter, and uh, when he got on the color computer, I had the uh, Mark Data keyboard. He liked it because it was close to what the typewriter had, and he did pretty good. And uh, I used to do invoices and stuff on my business and he would type them in and he was good so, at it. I, so I'm you a, got him started on using the cocoa, not the other yes, way around. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And a and lot was of people ask commented on there about the same type of thing where, uh, you know, some of them, their parents had nothing to do with it and didn't even like computers at the time. Yeah. My dad falls in that latter category. He never touched it. He never touched the computer ever type thing. My mom got a little bit involved in very specific things. Like she never generally used computers at all <clears throat> and the Coco in particular at the day, but there were a few games she actually did like. She did like um, adventure games, like Sands of Egypt. She actually helped me solve it. Huh. She would just sit there over my shoulder. She wouldn't type right because she never typed, but she would give me suggestions of what to try. So she got kind of got involved that way. <clears throat> and then later on, she really liked Shanghai. That one, she would actually sit down and play once in a while. So kudos to Rick on that. I was wondering on the rest of the panel here, what, what was your experience with your parents? On, uh, on I remember my mom and dad would always play uh, Double Back and Downland. So it was more of a gaming, you know, and, uh, just playing games with the family before the Nintendo came out. Okay, Jason, you were saying something? Uh, uh, my, uh, my father, uh, Ken Sr., he uh, he would type, he he worked in a hospital in a lab and he he would type up uh, I guess like if I remember correctly it was like some of the procedures for different tests in the lab and then uh, uh, there was another program I think my brother had wrote for him that would uh, work with the particular statistics for his job so he did quite a bit of uh, stuff for his job there and then I think later on uh, just uh, like Grant was saying my my mom would play uh, Shanghai and some of the other games. Okay. Anybody else in the panel want to? Well, I had an unusual case with my parents. They used the plug and power controller to uh, with the cocoa to control the lights in the house. Now, is that something they came up with on their own, seeing it advertised, or something you kind of? Oh, I put it in for them. Okay. Um, I had my game done. That dilemma was inspired by my dad's um, business at the time. A little, he had a little donut shop, so. 
that's where that. the, yeah, the little game idea came from that. So no, is he you, is he the angry Angelo in the in the game he or is, is he yeah. the main character? Yeah, that well that's yeah, that's <laughs> what he's <modeled> on. <laughs> so did he have a lot of police as uh patrons? Uh no, no. <laughs> oh, not like here? Yeah, I think that's a no. North American phenomenon. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My father was a uh, mechanical engineer. Um when I was a kid, you know, he dealt with a slide rule and then when calculators came along he bought calculators, but when computers came along, he was he was not interested in them, and uh, he passed away in '93. So it was at the point where computers were starting to be to be used a lot, but he, you know, in his job, could get away without using one, and never did uh, get into it. And my mom played some Atari back in the day, but that's about it. She never got into computers at all. Anybody else on the panel want to chime in? My mom's 86. She's on Facebook every day. <laughs> no good. Yeah. I bought my mom an iPad a couple of years ago, and she, you know, plays with it a little bit, but, uh, you know, not a whole lot. Yeah. My mom's got an iPad, too, and she she abhors Facebook. She never goes on Facebook. She doesn't yeah. have an account anymore. Same here. Yeah. She, she does do email, and she does do some local games, and she watches Netflix you know, she's not in the room with the TV. So, my mom gets a ton of single men wanting her to friend her. You know, so I come, <laughs> I come to her house. I have to go and delete like you have to, you have to 30, be her filter. Yeah, thirty <laughs> different people that have tried to uh, friend her. <laughs> but she does good. She doesn't make any comments that uh, are incendiary anymore because <laughs> she would get, you know, she'd start getting people to you know try to communicate with her. Yeah, seriously about stuff, and and she she's not real good at spelling and stuff, so she get frustrated. So I told her, don't you know, stay away from the politics stuff, you know. And she has, and she does pretty good that way. Okay, well, I think right, we got cool. just about everybody here, but yeah, that's that's a really interesting conversation. Uh, please go to the the Facebook uh, group. Uh, Ron's there where he posts that there's a lot of responses it's really interesting reading the responses all right number 11 was Chet's post on a question what is or was one thing you wanted for the cocoa during Christmas yeah well once again a very interesting thing seeing some responses I like the responses change depending what your interests were like you know people that played games wanted certain games um, some other people wanted hardware some people wanted like you know upgrades um I was going to ask you like for the panel here too. I mean, there's a ton of responses on Facebook too. You can go through if, if you want to read some of them out, Grant, feel free to. But I was also wondering what people here would have wanted back in the day. And then also what would they want now? Sound chip. <laughs> I, 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 I hear that one. Pun intended. <laughs> a real-time clock. And a clock, yeah. Back in the day, I think it would have been games. I didn't have many. I had like Space Assault and Megabug and, uh, oh, geez, um, Lancer and Robotech. And I think that was about all I had. Um, I, I can't think of any games specifically, though, that I wanted. I wanted the Space Invaders. I know that, but I don't <laughs> know which one. But Space Assault wasn't quite... Uh, 
like the arcade. <laughs> yeah, I, I know when I was uh, in the younger days, I always wanted games. And I remember one thing I always wanted a lot uh, was floppy drives and other hardware because they were so expensive back in the day. Yeah, I I spent my own money to buy my floppy drive, and it was over four hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> Brian, you were about to say something too, or I was going to say for for Christmas, my mom and dad did get me the uh, my first color computer too, but beyond that, everything was uh, I had to buy it myself. There, they they didn't understand it, <laughs> you know, as far as what the what the technology was, and I could put a list together, but uh, no, they. Uh, they didn't really understand this stuff and uh, the, the attraction to it. And they still don't to this day. I mean, um, they, they, my mom got her first smartphone here just uh, in the past couple months. So it was still just a keypad type phone is what she was using. So, so, uh, but yeah, no, they, they got me started with the hobby, but uh, um, beyond that, yeah. Like everybody's saying there, um, whether it was the floppy drives, the games or a modem or, or a monitor, whatever it is that I needed, it was all, on my own, but uh, yeah, they got me started with, with at least with a, a Christmas present. Like myself personally, <clears throat> when I was <clears throat> younger and like my Coco one in two days, I definitely wanted games and it was just basically open rainbow and just pick, <laughs> you know, cause there was a ton of them coming out at the time and a lot of really good ones. And then by the late eighties, early nineties, it was hardware upgrades. Cause by that time we had a pretty good super Coco system at work. And I wanted a lot of that stuff in my own home system too. Um, like, you know, one and two meg upgrades and, you know, multiple serial ports and parallel ports. So I could run printers a lot faster and all kinds of stuff. And then eventually when I got the TC9 to tie it in with the interview with Frank there, I mean, that had most of that stuff built in. It had two higher speed serial ports. It had a real parallel port, 8-bit sound, 8-bit joysticks, an AT keyboard. Um, you know, it had a lot of the stuff that I wanted. So that kind of solved most of my things there. But there was still a lot, a lot of other hardware I wouldn't have minded having. Anybody else? Well, I, you know, uh, my first Coco was a, a Christmas present. Well, it, technically, it was a present for the family, if I remember correctly, and uh, still have it. And then, you know, anything else? I and mean, then, yeah, I think it was games and a disk drive. I think eventually we did get a disk drive from uh, in, on a future Christmas. So that was that was a night and day difference from cassette, of course. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much so. Of course, everybody wants a Wallaby cable for Christmas, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess what do I want for Christmas these days? I probably won't be this Christmas. It's too, too, too late to get it done by now. But we've got a lot of new hardware coming out that looks really interesting. Uh, you know, different sound solutions and, you know, mega MPIs and extenders and stuff like that. Um, one thing I would really like to see upcoming years is software to use all this stuff. Because right now it's just going to be demos and things uh, you know, from the manufacturers at this point. And I, I really want to see some support, which is starting to happen. I mean, Nick and, and Chet and a few others are going to be supporting some of the sound chips. Uh, Steve as well. Um, I'm planning on doing some stuff in Nitrous 9 to start supporting that stuff once I actually have the hardware to test it on. So uh, that's, my, that's my main hope for, I guess, next Christmas. Because like I said, it's a little bit too late to wish it'll be done in the next two weeks. <laughs> but to see a lot of software support for all the new hardware that's coming out. All right, cool. Anything else? That's all those on the list here on my end. That's all I got. Well, this was well, very organized. The last hour too. <laughs> <laughs> this was very organized and well done. Well, Steve's yeah, not here, happened? so you can pass. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
I didn't say All anything right. against Steve. Steve has his own way. <laughs> hey, Nick, did you have a cord Just dump? Fine. No, no, nothing. I today. got the flush. Come on, you got to come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't. No, I don't have anything unless uh, Curtis wants to say anything. <laughs> uh, Nick, I was wondering if you wanted to give an update on your side project. Oh, um, it doesn't have to be you know visual or anything, but you can mention some of the things you've been. Oh doing. well, okay, I can talk about it. And um, all right, let's take the card now. It's only a five-minute thing just for the sake of playing the uh, flush, yeah. yeah okay. For grand. We'll go ahead and uh, do a commercial real quick, and then we'll do the uh, chord dump. Then we'll, then we'll flush Have Nick you in. got the intro graphic as well? Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> Steve's All right. uh, well, upgraded me. Show. Of course we'll, we have We'll now. do a five-minute uh, chord dump. <laughs> All right. Here we go with the commercial. So if you need to go to the restroom or anything, go right ahead. We'll be right back. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, J.T. Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. Well, we got there. You that go, in. Nick. You happy? Yeah, yeah. We got the flush. Uh, my <laughs> my life is whole. Um, now, I think I mentioned uh, some of this last week, but uh, for the sake of having a five minute uh, core dump, um, the little it's a side project I've started on my uh, from my uh, main game, and that is to go and redo the Rupert rhythm. And I think I talked about a bit about this last week, but. Um, at the moment, I've uh, taken my old Rupert Rhythm game, of which uh, I wrote back in 88, um, and there were a few things I wanted to to do with the game back then, but there was a bit of a rush to get it out at the time because 
uh, tan, uh, that was one game that I was writing for the Tandy over here. So I had to, I was working on a time schedule. So hence Rupert Rhythm, I've never really been totally fond of. So there's been a bit of talk uh, over the few months saying that I should just, you know, fix it up or do a new Rupert Rhythm or whatever. So the other day, uh, well, the other the other week rather, I um, I, I thought I'd bring out the I found I've got the source code, the original source code. I started looking at it, and uh, while looking looking at it, I thought, well, I could fix it here, and I could do this, and I could do that, and before you know it, I've started already modifying or updating the um, the game with a few of the fixes that I had wanted to do back then. Uh, one of the main things, and I think I, I don't know, if, did I show the, the new title page last week? Can you remember, Curtis? Is that the one with Sting on it? Yeah. Uh, no. Well, no, there was another one where the, there was a guitar. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, they, you did. Yeah. Okay. So I've changed the title screen uh, with that uh, new, having a key, what do they call that instrument? A guitar a guy playing a guitar, which was more suitable to the uh, the original theme rather than a guitar. So it's got a more graphical intro, uh, a few other little cosmetic changes. Uh, I've removed uh, a few things like the 50 hertz, 60 hertz, and the RGB and composite options. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you you had a bit of a rage quit with composite there, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, uh, I was just... The colours do not match the RGB, and I was just looking at it, thinking, "Well, this looks shit now." Even with the uh, the new composite setup, just leave it as is. Just you know, I'm going to support RGB only. It's 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 the real mode of the colour computer, not not that terrible composite. So I'm getting. Uh, I, I took that out, and I took out the 50 hertz, 60 hertz option as well, because I don't know of any even people down here in Powerland who actually ran the game in 50 hertz anyway. A 60 hertz works even down here. Most TVs can sync to 60 hertz, and 60 hertz runs faster as well. So I thought, well, that's a point, pointless um, option anyway, so I ditched that as well. But the other big thing I'm going to do is um, n no one's actually heard played the game that I'm aware of to the very end to see the concert. Um, because in that game, when you finally solve the puzzle, and the puzzle being where you've got to collect the parts of music that have been stolen and then rearrange the parts so that you can play the entire song, in the, in the game, when you reach that point, it actually changes the screen. It draws up a, uh, a concert uh, stage with a crowd, and Rupert is standing on the stage with a guitar and that the song the, from the puzzle is then played out completely. It's, it was probably good in 1988. You know, it's my first Coco 3 program. It was, it had sample sounds and it probably was okay, but looking at it now, it's a bit, bit lame. And, and actually I do have a video of it. So maybe I could play that. So for, for all the people who've never seen the, the concert, 
Uh, it's a so bit. This is the original version of the concert, though, not not. This the is one. the original one, the one that uh, I'm going to update now. So I'm I'm just jazzing up the graphics a bit, and I'm thinking of changing the song. Oh, the the going from what it has, it has a few little samples, but it's pretty cheesy music, and putting in a proper um, sample track in there. So, um, but if you want, I can try and access the um the original um the video how's yeah, that sound now? if you can just we can yes well i'll give it a try uh hang on a sec uh i wasn't really prepared for a uh yeah a, I, I can uh, honestly say i never even got close i think i maybe got like five or six notes okay well i've got it up yeah so a lot of people haven't seen it so i'm going to try and share Let's see, where is it? That one. And share computer sound. So hopefully that'll come through sound and all. So I use looking at the static screen now. Yep. You can see the screen. Okay, so yes. So when you do complete the game, it draws up this screen. I've just paused the video. So as you can see, it puts up the big banner in the top, Rupert Rhythm Live. And before I go any further, the first thing you'll notice is the word rhythm is correctly spelt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have always had the wrong spelling for rhythm. Um, so um, I've, I've gone in and changed it. So it's got the correct spelling. So Rupert Rhythm Live, it draws a very simple little stage with two little boom boxes for his uh, sound system and the crowd in, down below. So I'm going to be jazzing it up a little bit, um, tidying up some of the graphics, maybe put a few flashing lights on there as well. I don't know. I'll, I'll see how I go. But the song itself was good for 88 maybe, but it's pretty crap by today's standards. So I'm going to be upgrading this. But here is the original concert from Rupert Rhythm. I'm going to hit play now. Can you hear the crowd? Is that coming through? Yeah. yeah. All right. So it's <laughs> yeah. so pretty, pretty basic. It just takes the little samples that I had already in memory at the time, and it just plays it out of rhythm, and that that's the song. So it's uh. It's good for about 88, maybe. Make the top 40, Nick. <laughs> no, no, it won't. So uh, I'm going to be changing the song and jazzing it up a bit. So it's a bit more of a, um, a bit more um, of a reward actually getting to the end. <laughs> You're going to put a couple of Marshall stacks behind them now. Oh no! I think I like the, the I like the uh, the ghetto blaster look. It has a real retro look to it. Yeah, <laughs> a real. So I'll probably just leave those in there. But um, I'm, at the moment, I'm just tightening up the crowd at the front. You can see the crowd. The graphics are just simply um, uh, stamped in place. So in in some parts, they actually chop part of the uh, the if it's right next to another head, for example, it just. Um, it chops out part of the other head and all that. So I want to merge it, make it a bit better, maybe fill it up a bit more and maybe put some more flashing lights and stuff on there. But most importantly, I want to change that terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> Take the speakers boom too. Well, hey? statistics are that uh, 
2.3 children come to the show. So the 0.3s are kind of half, you know. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's not too bad, but I mean, no. while I've gone, since I've gone this far, I might as well do all these things that I hated about the, the program all those years and finally be able to turn around and say, yeah, Rupert Rhythm was a good program. <laughs> It's my first Coco 3 program, so, you know, I was learning at the same time. Looking at my code, there's a lot of things I sort of scratch my head and I say, oh, why did I do that? That's so stupid. Um, but anyway, there you go. Uh, that's basically all. I mean, I might find other things as I go. Um, and, and by the way, bringing up the concert as well, I also, looking at my old code, I discovered that I did put a cheat mode in there. So I found the code and I found out what I needed to do to make it come up. So now I can actually jump uh, straight to the end concerts. And, and that's how I was able to get this video. So I, I probably won't activate it in, in the final game either, but um, at least I know now how to uh, bring it up on on call so and there'll be a ten thousand dollar prize for anyone who can find it <laughs> no, no. i'll start no. disassembling then oh wait there's a million dollars anyway so that that's the end of my um core dump unless anyone else has got anything else to get to put on there before we put the uh, final flush I think you could probably get a better crowd cheering sound too. Yeah. It sounded more yeah. like tape. Yeah, noise. that one. Um, yeah, it's just a it's just a, a very simple noise generator. It just a, it does a hiss, um, and I think it also there's there's a bit of a click in the in the uh, the crowd noise as well. I, I did that because it was small. I didn't have to have a, a sample well, in there. That crowd. click is people holding their lighters up. Well, yeah, no, but I think that the click could also might not have been there originally. I think it might be put in because of changes I've I've done now to the code, and I've buggered up part of the noise because it uses it uses the data in the code to to generate a random number, and I've done some changes and moved some of the things around, and I think that's upset the the actual um, the noise generation. So, but anyway, I can fix all that. That that's fairly easy. Well, just don't do like uh, what they did on the skiing cartridge, where most of the cartridge was the sound of the crowd applauding at the end. All right. Oh, yeah. most of the <laughs> it was the most yeah, no, but... wasted bit of ROM I've ever seen on it. Exactly. And I didn't want to put – I could have sampled the crowd and had a, a proper crowd sound, but I didn't think the crowd was really the – the main emphasis of the concert it was the music and of course as it turned out the music's crap but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i'll replace that with a proper sample um so it, I, I think rupert rhythm was designed to run in 128k back yes, in the day uh well this this new version is going to need 512 and that's only because of the added um graphic and sound um assets that i'm adding into the into the program Okay, anyway, cool. cool. So yeah, there's my core dump. Okay, All right. your screen. Well done. Un unshare yeah. your screen. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, unsharing. Uh, hang on, when I find the blasted thing again, I can never find it because it stop share. Here it is. Okay, I'm back. So uh, yeah, 
You can put the toilet flush now. Oh, not the whole song. <laughs> I don't have a toilet flush by itself. I'm not that sophisticated. There it is. <laughs> Plus, okay. uh, Steve, uh, Stevie's trolling us right now. He said, uh, don't forget to wipe after this dump and make sure to spray <laughs> some air freshener. <laughs> we also have a question in the chat from uh, somebody calling themselves Vocal Studio asking, are, are you th doing anything with the 609 for Rupert? I don't believe you are at this point. Though. No, no, that's staying in 609. Okay. I believe that's Bruce. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Ah. Uh... Right. Well, Rick is new also game Gunstar is definitely six through nine, and then Chet's new attack uh, race is going to be six through nine too. So. Yeah, well, I'll do. The, yeah, well, I'm I'm doing the new game firstly as six through nine, and when it's all done, then I'll try to reverse back and see if I can do at least most of it with the six through nine. I'm, I mean, I'm not utilizing six through nine that heavily. It's only in certain parts where um, I need that extra speed. If I revert those to 609, maybe the game then will run a bit slower and I might have to take something out. I don't know. But, okay. yeah, initially it'll be 6309. Cool. And since Paul Thayer's joined us here <clears throat> late, do um, you want to talk a little bit about your collaboration with Chet on the graphics for oh, uh, yes. Figure 3? Which, by the way, are uh, very good graphics and a, a good uh, update to uh, Digger 3. It's a great little game. Yeah, it's a lot of I've I've been having a lot of fun playing it. Um, I don't know what to really what to really talk about, but uh, Chet. When, when did you guys start collaborating? Like, was it just in the last two weeks? Yeah. <laughs> so what 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 caused the collaboration? Did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you? Did it just a random well, conversation or what? About three weeks ago, I reached out to him asking him if he needed an artist for uh, his games or whatever because the uh, the graphics is kind of my forte and the programming is just out of necessity. And he said he had somebody working with him for uh, Sack Race. Um, and then the next week, he uh, messaged me asking if he could see my uh, graphics for Downland, which I thought he just wanted to see what the graphics were. I didn't know that he was intending on using any of them. <laughs> um, but that was later established that he was going to use the bat and a couple other assets from that. Um, and then I asked him can I redo the character designs? And he said, yeah, for sure. So then we just, uh, we worked on that and a lot of the other tile stuff. Um, he, that was a lot of just stuff that he had pulled from the internet or made up himself or whatever. Um, I did find a new tool though, uh, through his help called Piscal. And it's just like a, it's like a web page where you can do, um, pixel art of sprites. It will animate them at the same time while you're editing them. Um, it's got a lot of really simple tools, but it's uh, really, really cool and really useful. It's got everything you need in it, um, but it's really simple at the same time. So, And then he What's just does his again? magic. It's called Piskel. Oh, so P-I-S-K-E-L. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's really awesome. And it's got this really cool feature on it um, where if you're editing a frame... There's like this little button that looks like an onion, like an onion being peeled into layers. And you can click on that and you can see kind of like superimposed the frame before. So it kind of helps you like with animation sequences 
um, kind of line things up without like traditionally what I normally have been doing is, you know, I'll draw one frame and then I'll go to do the next. And there's some stuff that you copy and paste over, but other stuff you can't. Um, and then I'll flip between them just to kind of, you know, line up this pixel or that pixel. Um, with this tool, I can just have it superimposed underneath and still edit the frame that I'm currently on. It, it's really a cool program. So it's almost like I, using the clear cell thing to use an animation for movies and stuff then where you see the frame underneath and kind of gauge where you're moving stuff around. I wouldn't know anything about that, but yeah, it kind of sounds similar to that for sure. So, uh, and I like the fact that it animated the sprites while you were drawing them. Um, that was really cool. Um, you could turn it off or whatever if you want to. Um, and you can export them into uh, various types of uh, graphics files. Uh, you can save them in, right on the um, right on your browser too, or you can download them onto your uh, hard drive and everything. It's really cool. It's a really awesome tool. I think I'm going to start using it more often. Um, it kind of inspired me to want to want to make one like it for. I got a sprite editor I've been working on for on and off for like a year uh, for the Coco. But the more I think about it, the more it's like it's easier for me to just use the PC for that kind of stuff and then convert it over. <clears throat> but, yeah, so that was the col collaboration there. Um, I played that game probably every day for solid two hours each day, kind of we're, we're going through debugging and trying to make things faster and stuff like that. And, yeah, it's pretty. I think it's, I think it's really good where it's at right now. And I think he has plans for... Uh, making a full up uh, Digger 3 game. And this is just kind of a six level teaser for the holidays that, for everybody. And actually, he just joined us so he can actually. Yeah, Chad could speak on that. Now. He's got a trip tomorrow. So. <laughs> Welcome, Chet. Or is he muted? No, I, I'm here. I'm just getting all my stuff set up. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that, so that was that was how the cal collaboration began i actually reached out for to him for for friendship to begin with though because i was he's kind of a i don't know i played a lot of his games and i really like them so i was like <laughs> i want to connect with that guy so and we we get along pretty good so yeah yeah was, I mean, paul was really helpful you know not with just the the, the graphics but you know with the testing and the, and the feedback you know him and, and and brian uh you know really really hammered on the game because you know early on there was a lot of changes going on you know, like the you know the bad addition that, that you know I, I wanted to see you know what uh uh, you know, Paul had done with that, how it would actually fit into the into the game and some of the backgrounds, and I was just you know really really impressed with how much it really made the game shine. I was like, yeah, we got to use these. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, that that addition of the enemy really brings the game out. It, it's it's it was really incredible because it was already difficult enough. Um, <laughs> well, it's a challenging game, but it's really fun too at the same time. So, the addition of the bats, I think, was perfect. So. Yeah, I have to try the like I've gotten up to the bat first bat level, which I think is level three, if I remember. Yeah, um, not the bat cave. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's I've been trying to play it on the emulator just because I'm busy working on the nitro line stuff at the same time. So if I just need a break, I just frap an emulator and do it. But it's all I don't have a joystick on the on the Mac here, so I'm playing on a keyboard, and it's a little awkward trying to run to grab a gold and then duck down on the ladder. <clears throat> it sometimes misreads the keys and stuff. So I, I really got to try it on the real thing with the joystick. I think it would probably be a bit easier, but. Yeah, it's much better on the on the real color computer three, um, but I know with that Curtis, like um, when you start pressing the uh, up or down 
uh, and then also hit the direction you want to go right or left at the same time, you'll slip into those uh, tight spots a lot easier. Right. Yeah, that was a. I think that was a change that Chet made kind of late, but we. I think he put it in there. Pretty sure. Yeah, the the input the the input handling from that was in in uh, uh you know Digger two was just absolutely horrendous. I mean, it was far worse than than the, you know some of the 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 minor issues that you run into. This I've actually got a new input um, handler that has um, uh, dominant key management. So you you know you can press up and turn right, and then you know pr- turn down again, and it'll actually hold which the you know the order of which you've got those keys pressed, so you can actually go back and forth between them, and it be- makes it a little bit easier to play. I've just got to finish up polishing the code and, and, and get that. I'm actually hoping to get that out before Christmas. I'm gonna have a little bit of time uh, when I get back uh, from my trip to uh, you know clean some stuff up and and uh, you know make a little bit of polishing up. So get a couple more levels in there and and, and you know do another release uh, you know closer to Christmas when I've got a little bit more time to to you know work on it. Have Have you actually been pre-designing the levels like quite far ahead of time? Like you were mentioning, I think on a you know, uh, Discord chat earlier that you were planning on having like 40 or 60 levels on the final version of the game. Have you already got oh, quite a few of those planned out or are you just kind of winging it as you go? Or No, there's actually, there's uh, there's four different tile sets that I've got planned for the four, because you've got ten, ten, basically 10 stages and and, and, uh, and 10 levels per stage and you go through each one and there's a little bit of polishing up to do and then, you know, so each each stage will have a different um, set of tiles as you go along. So it ch- the game changes a little bit and that's one of the things, you know, uh, I've been looking at trying to to you know swap a little bit of memory on so that i can include different uh types of actors in the later stages so it does tend to evolve a little bit oh, okay so not just changing the backgrounds and the colors and stuff but actually changing like the ai and what the things your your opponents and stuff do as you progress through these levels right i mean i've got there's uh you know everything from like little booby traps to to you know different things that that affect the way that you interact with the level and can get through it so you know some of the the uh uh, later worlds will, yeah, I mean, or the, the later levels will actually be a little bit smaller, kind of the, the single screen up and down, but it actually becomes much, much more difficult uh, to get past some of those. Okay. Mm. So, cool. like, Stevie will never see these levels, so we'll have to have some. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Oh, dude, he'll be tossing his stuff out the window real quick. <laughs> but I, I, I give him, I give him twenty minutes max, and, and he's done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the final version of the program when. Um, It'll have a level editor as well. You said, I think uh, last time I was talking to. Yeah, actually, what I'm going to, I'm, I'm actually working on that right now. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, create a a set of documents and a video that shows how to use uh, Tiled to actually create the levels for it. And I mean, I've already got the tool. It's, it's, I've got to you know do another release of that that has uh, uh, some additional support for it. And then they can really they can uh, you know create a level that way, load it onto a disc, and, and you know test it out and share it with other people. And I'll go through you know the different aspects of you know designing a level to, to you know to keep the rendering and the, and the frame rate consistent, and, and uh, how to add objects and manage those because there are a lot of nice little features that it's really really basic to use. Cool. Is two megabyte enough? <laughs> it's five twelve k. This one's five twelve. It's the other game that takes two meg. Yeah, this is uh, this will be the, uh, the the probably the last sixty eight or nine uh, uh, project that that I do. Um, but it, there are certain aspects which will probably you know be updated for sixty three or nine in order to get some additional speed out of it. So you'll probably have a couple of different you know two different versions of it. Plus the the it, it makes for a nice test bed for the other projects that I'm working on. 
And the final product, are you planning on uh, having it as a free program or is it going to be the final one will be a paid or donation, whatever? No, uh, it'll be free. It'll, it'll be, be free. free I mean, yeah, yeah. Get everybody to play it. I mean, you know, it's 30 years on. Everybody should, you know, have a, a chance to to experience, you know, what some of these games, you know, could have been like on the Coco. You know, had we had, you know, either the time or the knowledge or the, uh, you know, the, the abilities to, to, you know, hammer through, like, you know, some of the stuff that you can use in Tiled could actually you know you could make a really complicated game with it you know you didn't have you know some of that you know stuff back then so that's why i've been trying right. to keep, you know kind of basic you know but how you know be able to play some of the stuff that's really really good on the on the color computer and really showcases some of the stuff that it can do yeah so digger three has been in, in evolution since what 92 when the original one came out uh your... 91 close yeah 91 91 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that one, that one was actually, uh, I put that one together in about three and a half weeks. Oh. Yeah, the original Digger, <laughs> which was more of a gold, uh, load runner, gold runner clone. Yeah. Yeah, that one was, I mean, I really just did that one for, you know, kind of fun. It was you know, just to see if we could get one on the Coco 3 and, and uh, you know, running at 128K. I think it was the last 128K project that uh, that I worked on. And then it was, what, 97 around there that you did Gold Runner 2000 and Digger 2, which was kind of when you got the horizontal vertical scrolling added in? Yeah, that was 96 to 97. That was while I was at uh, Microware. Oh, okay. Oh, you, cool. guys, you guys don't write things for 4K anymore, huh? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why? We, want, we, we like to fight with the MMU. Right, yeah. What a yeah. battle that can be sometimes. Mm. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah it's... it's Oh, go ahead, Paul. Uh, I was just going to say that that tiled uh, program, um, I really like it too. And I'm probably going to end up using that for laying out levels for Downland because it's just, it's so intuitive and you can do everything that you need to in there. It's almost like why build something customized, you know? The only thing I have to figure out is how I'm going to take the files that it outputs and convert them to whatever Downland's going to read for knowing how the level layout is, but that shouldn't be too hard to do either. Yeah. So. I mean, that's, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've got the, uh, the, the map converter up on GitHub is, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, hopefully going to be easy enough to, uh, to integrate into projects like that, either just, you know, by defining something either in an XML or a JSON file. So hopefully by the time you get uh, onto that project, I should actually have that up to, to speed. So you can, you should be able to use that yeah. as well. Yeah. If Pico prod would stop giving me headaches, I'd be all right. <laughs> I could move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, it, it was it was really it was really fun doing it too. I mean, we we started right before Thanksgiving when I when I found the code, and it was it was you know one of those things where, hey, if I can actually get this couple of pieces up and running, you know, over the weekend, then you know maybe we can actually do something with this. So, and it uh, it was luckily able to to get everything up and running pretty well. I, I still have some early videos. Let me put something together for it. Yeah, I would just have to say I was honestly very surprised that, you know, something with that much of a visual change from the original came out that quickly, mm. especially after you hadn't looked at it in 10, 15 years. Yeah, it was it was I was really surprised that I was able to get it up and building, you know, fairly quickly because there was actually problems in the code. There was actually some bugs in there um, that just would not do it. And then there was a, a, a apparently I had introduced a bug into my assembler uh from the time that I'd written that to the time I last time I touched it, so I had to go in there and and you know find that and fix that, you know make sure that it was managing the direct page properly. Um, I was really surprised, and, and in fact, there's one bug in the runtime where when it comes up to the prompt, it prints Coco twice, and as soon as I saw that, you know, print twice, I was like, oh yeah, we're there. 
<laughs> We've got that known bug. I was, and I was really happy to, to see that because I hadn't booted the stuff up in what, 20 years. Uh, so you've been able to come back to the 6809 fairly comfortably after being away from it for so long? Uh, mostly it's, it, I mean, my biggest problem is, is, you know, dealing with the 69 versus where I've, you know, dealt with the 6309. So, you know, so long, that was one of the, you know, one of the things that, uh, that kind of got in my way when I originally did this project, you know, I've been, in, you know, in so much into the 6309 that there's some things that you get used to, you know, having yeah. those extra registers, having some of the, the, the bitwise operators and logical operators that don't require a register, uh, you know, you get used to those and that's how, that's how you, you, you know, your flow of optimization kind of goes while you're writing the code. And so, yeah, it, it can certainly be a little, uh, little difficult time to shift gears back into that, but you know, it's, uh, it, you do pick it up quite a bit, you know, because I mean, when you've, delved into it that deeply where you've had to you know with the cocoa and getting some of that stuff done and for so long back in the day um you know it, it is like riding a bike it comes back to you pretty quick yeah cool cool it's a very good game like i said i've only gotten up to level three there and like i said i'll have to put it on the real thing with the joystick so i can navigate those corners a little bit better but uh yeah I'll be giving oh. it a try uh, later on uh this afternoon afternoon yeah. here I'm hoping we're going to have an after dark here either today or tomorrow and we can get Stevie to play because I want to watch him rage quit. <laughs> <laughs> we want yeah, the rage quit. <laughs> I'm going to have to try and show up with that one. I, 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 in fact, I mean, I just got done packing for my trip, so it's uh, uh, I was really happy to, to have some time and, I, and you know, hear Paul uh, uh, talking about it. I'm not sure how long you guys have been, you know, had brought it up but uh yeah i was really really surprised that you know there's i've gotten some pretty good feedback on it. i've actually got a couple of of, of uh, defect reports that uh, uh of things that i want to uh, address so i don't know if it's uh, of course i'm developing it kind of blind i don't actually have a real cocoa back yet i've got got an x-pad <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you've got stuff ordered though like you're you're getting one yeah, I got uh, I got my monitor from uh, from Boise. It it uh, it showed up a few days ago. I picked it up uh, yesterday. Um, nice big old hefty one. So you know I've got that. I've got the X pad. I've got the speech and sound cartridge. I'm, uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm collecting right now is is stuff that you know is specifically for the development of games so that I can actually go on and test them. You know I've got to get a PSG and a GMC ordered. Um, I want to actually get a Sir Sound from uh, uh, from Alan to try and uh, you know play around with that or get the, the specs from him and see if uh, uh, you know any possibility of, of you know supporting that within a game you know it's it's on the serial port you know, you've got the rs232 port is See, an option one thing is alan doesn't sell those he just tells you how to put it together yourself perfect <laughs> uh, that, that's yeah that, i mean that's perfect for me because you know at least it gives me a chance to you know to test it out and if there's any other tinkerers out there it gives them something to say oh hey yeah that we can get this working and test it with it well don't forget about uh, ed's uh, mega mini multi-pack Oh yeah, yeah. I got to get that one too. Uh, I'm getting the whole slew. I've, I've got, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got a whole list of, of all of that stuff. I mean, it's just like in the back in the old days. You know, I'm sitting there going through catalogs. I've, I've hit like four or five different websites. You know, writing stuff. It's like, yeah, we'll get that. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want donations here, like shareware or something, to help cover the cost of all this hardware? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, if, if, I mean, you know, if somebody wants to feels the need to do that, you know, there, there's animal shelters and other shelters and other other shirts <laughs> they can give to to. to um, yeah, well, we shouldn't call Stevie an animal. That's kind of rude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just I, I just do it because I you know I, I've always enjoyed it, and it's uh, you know the, the the there's so many people that are. Uh, you know, coming into the community now, and there's so many different, you know, hardware options. I'd, I'd, you know, I, I'd rather that you go out and spend, you know, the, the, 
you know, they take that, you know, the, the 29.95 or 24.95, you know, get some of that hardware and play it because, you know, the, the, the more that we can get some software out there and the more that the hardware vendors can sell it, you know, the, the more everybody's going to join it, the more, you know, that that kind of churn continues to go. They don't, you don't, you're not maybe just going to stop at that sound card. Maybe you'll start looking at a couple of other options too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll actually help feed itself. It'll help feed the community as a whole. It'll, the hardware will feed the software, will feed the hardware, will feed the software type thing. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's the reason why I picked up that multi-pack. I figure support the sound that particular sound hardware, and then other people like yourself there, Chad, uh, you'll go through and you'll uh, support it too, and we'll get a lot more hardware that way. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, How no, you no, finding? No. Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Nick. No, no, no I was just going to ask Steve something. Um, I'll ask when you finish. Okay. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I'm, I'm hoping to get done with, uh, with Digger 3, like right after the holidays when I do have some time is to get some of that, you know, that sound support in. Um, I know that, you know, like, I think it's May, Mike can test both the, the GMC and the, uh, um, and the speech and sound cartridge, but, you know, for some of the other stuff, I'll, you know, I'll certainly have to get real hardware, but at least it'll be a start, you know, because I figure, you know, I've got a game that's working if I can at least drop a little bit of sound into it. I also gain a little bit of CPU time that uh, they can go to some more graphics. So it'll be nice to, to actually get some of that in and, and really see what um, opportunities that it, it opens for, you know, code wise, you know, in, in other areas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was going to just ask Steve, uh, how are you finding the uh, mega multi-packer? Have you used it much or? Uh, tell you the honest truth, it's still sitting in the box because I got to get the uh, cocoa out of the garage, which is going to require oh. a two day project. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> yeah, it's garage must be like David's house. Halloween and Christmas stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, and the Christmas stuff isn't out on display. So we got to get the Christmas stuff out. Then I got to pack away the Halloween stuff, and then I can finally get to the cocoa. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, we have already seen that we're going to have to do some updates on some of this hardware that's out there, so that they're all compatible. Yeah. Yeah, maybe come up with a driver model that people can share between the different cards, so that you can you know, write to a common API, so that most of the cards will you know run. I gear, you don't. Here, here's the thing with that, Curtis, the driver module uh, that you know model that we could put between that will support all of them will probably be about three times the size of the game to begin with. <laughs> well, we got two. <laughs> also, I mean, that's not a problem, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, well, uh, I, I've got to get Richard making more of those uh, boomerang boards. Then. Yeah. I'm the sure he Megabytes is so big for Coco. That's so much room. <laughs> I don't know. I've ate Megan one of mine already. So. It's like an endless universe is what it seems like to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure I could fill it up very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two megs seems big, you know, when you compare it to you starting to hit the sides of the 512, but I still remember back in the day when I went from the Cocos, well, really, you only had 32K of RAM when you had a cartridge in, to five, I mean, excuse me, the 128K. I go, ooh, lots of room. I realized, Rampage, I was using every single byte that was available to me, and I couldn't believe it. Hmm. I'm going, I got all this freaking room now. What am I doing here? No, but double I, a 32K screen rips half of it right off the bat. So, 
Well, I was also doing a lot of decompression of stuff too, you know, sound graphics and, and like that. So yeah, it just, uh, it was a nightmare back then. Yeah. I think, I think there will, it was probably a lot harder then than it is now because I mean, everything was developed probably primarily on the system, right? Steve, mm -hmm. like it was all done on the Coco. Well, I used Amigas and PCs to develop most of the software at the end and okay. then actually test it on the Coco. Got it. You know, download it in there. Because no, my, my graphic editors um, and compiling words done on the PC and the uh, audio was done on the Amiga. Okay. Cool. That's kind of what Nick does too. Because I, I just haven't hit the 128K barrier myself yet, but nothing that i've done has been real expansive so we'll see with downland i'm thinking i'm going to hit the 128k barrier but simon's pushing me not to so yeah well the thing is you're going to hit that barrier when you sit there and say gee i want better samples yep. yeah <laughs> and i want yeah, more variety because tell you the honest truth once you've heard that great one that sounded great when you recorded it, it's been there and then you've heard it for the 2000th time you go, <laughs> I need variety. Right. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And he's a lot more willing to compromise about that stuff than I am. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> oh, you'll probably sit there and say, change the variety when you change the level when you load it in for the disc. Yeah, that, that game I was going to have levels loaded off of disc for sure. Mm. But uh, – I've, I've debated whether I want to pack everything in 512 because then we don't have to sit there and wait for loads. But, I mean, if you're using an SDC, the stuff is so fast anyway, it really doesn't matter that much. So Yeah, plus you can enable streaming mode in the SDC, so you can just blast stuff off of the SD card from, like, files that are a gig length if you wanted to. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day, doing cutscenes on the Coco. I was like... Isn't it crazy that we could do that shit now? That's insane. <laughs> like make I like, want to see a... between them and stuff. That'd be awesome. I want to see someone develop something like a Dragon's Lair game, the Laserdisc game on the yeah. Coco, using that streaming option. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah that'd be pretty cool. It would require well, an SEC, though. You wouldn't be able to do that in five twelve or even two meg. I don't think. No. no. <laughs> but you got what two gigs that you can access on the SD. Yeah, SDC. Yeah, that's mm. a, that's that's a huge amount of memory <laughs> for a color computer. So it'd be interesting. Well, you know the thing too is just amazing how the SDC has sold so well. I mean, it's the numbers are like back in the old Coco days. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just about well, up, it's going to be coming up in four figures here. I think in the next year or two. That's that's crazy, but I mean, you, you don't want to really get off. If you have to buy something new to support disk on your color computer, it's kind of unrealistic to get a floppy drive. I mean, unless you really want to have it for that nostalgia or whatever, I'm not sure. But, you know, because I don't know if, how easy it is to even get floppy disks anymore. It's probably really easy. But Yes, yeah, I've always dreamed about it. My program's <laughs> loading five times slower than... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In my life, reason not to get the SDC. That's, that's my point right there. Yeah. yeah. Well, the SEC is nice, too, because it simulates both a floppy drive for backwards compatibility, but it also simulates a hard drive, so you can you know get mm -hmm. faster speeds and larger files and everything else, too. <clears> yeah. And the streaming on top of that. So. And from oh. a programming perspective, it you know it, the disk controller works exactly the same. So, 
you know, we've been able to with with Simon, I guess I should say Simon, not we, because he did almost all of it, but you know, putting putting things on discs, writing the sectors and faster than basic ever dreamed of, you know. So yeah. Yeah, us old people have been around a while when that's all the media we had. And then we still have it because it's sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I still cool. remember us old farts also remember back in the days of tape. So even floppy disk yeah. is a huge improvement. I remember da- I remember yeah. the days of tape too. And I've if got I a box of tapes. If I had a if I had a floppy disk drive for my cocoa, I'd probably still use it. I'm not gonna lie. But I didn't, so SDC was the next best thing. So plus you can't get away from that nice, lovely There's <laughs> <laughs> that creepy voice again. <laughs> <laughs> I have several floppy drives, and I I use my SDC almost exclusively. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, me too. Where, I love did, the purr. I, and I if, have a, a mix. Where did David Ladd come from? I didn't even know you were. <laughs> He's been asking that question the, for years. The million dollar question. <laughs> so I've been I've been right below your window, waiting for the perfect opportunity to sneak in. Herbert. <laughs> That's creepy welcome, alone. Welcome to Stalker Talk. I'm really glad we don't live in the same state. <laughs> or in my case, the same country. Yes. Well, Rick. he just made it before we end the show, and so did Rick Adams. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, hey, Rick. Oh, OmniStar. A game that has been frustrating me as of the last couple of weeks, but I oh. like it a lot. I think that really? game is sweet. Yeah. Um, it's just hard. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I it's agree. too hard. I don't know. I don't know if it's too hard, but I, you know what I like about it is, okay, so based on your storyline of mm-hmm. what's going on, I feel like it's very real. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a guy who's trying to hack into this system that I really don't know much about, and there's, right. not, there's not a whole lot of clues it's very it, it definitely puts you in that environment for sure right um so you got you gotta love puzzles to, to like this game otherwise it's good you know you're gonna rage quit this game <laughs> <laughs> well i haven't ever got to the point of raging but i've just been mm-hmm. like yeah all right i need to step away for a while but it gets you thinking yeah. outside of the game too you know what i'm saying you, you'll walk away from it I'll go be framing my basement and I'll be like, Oh, you know what? I mean, I'm going to try this next time. So, <laughs> right. It's a Just cool game. I recommend that, it. Remember that, uh, I decided not to be really cruel. Uh, if I wanted to be really cruel, I would have all the little, you know, programs and viruses and things that you find in the system. I would randomize what they do every time you play the game. Oh no, don't that, do that. that would just be too cruel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, if you if you find out what one does, and you know, and you make a note of that, it's going to do that next time. So eventually, you'll know what everything does. Okay. And then you'll be able to strategize better. You could make two levels of difficulty. Then you could have an expert level I've where you actually it. do randomize it, and then you know somebody gets really familiar with it and you can beat it too easily on the. So, uh, I would feel too too mean. Yeah, but if I, it's I would feel like you're not being too mean. Then it's self inflicted. I know. <laughs> That would be the insane level. <laughs> so I also noticed that I could log in at Steve Strobridge, but there was yes. a problem with that. I couldn't get past level one, no matter how hard. 
Uh, Chad really knows the show. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he was here, but he's in hey, chat. You realize, you realize we've got five. We've got five game designers on uh, on the on the page at the moment. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, and the show is uh, approaching three and a half hours. That's right, never ending. That's show. why I came in late. <laughs> Right, we gotta keep it alive. Go right, right into Coco Talk after dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up here in Michigan, well, I, I told Alice well, I'm going to go downstairs and program for a little while. She, you know, and uh, this along in case you know there's the call still going on. She says the call's not going to be going on. I said, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Rick, that's the exact same thing that happened to me. I came down to my computer to start doing some code, and I was like. Oh, these dudes are still on here? That sounds way more fun than trying to figure this stuff out right now. <laughs> I'm surprised they figured out that I joined. For more than four hours, contact your position. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not like we only meet once a month. This is once a week. I know. Four times a month. Yeah. I think about the Facebook page. When I first got on in 2015, I think. And the way that it's grown in the last three years is just crazy man but what's really nutty is that so we had this retro video game store um called game changers okay now these dudes had a coco 2 and a coco 3 in their inventory for about two years and the last time i went in there both of them had been purchased Mm. And I was like, there's nobody else in this city that I know of that does it. But now there's at least two others, and I haven't had a chance to connect with them, and I'd well, like to. Well, they mm. might be somebody turning around selling them on eBay or something. That too, that. yeah. That's yeah, that's usually what happens with this. <laughs> <laughs> or they're hoarders. I don't know, Very man. rare. Color it seems Unless they're like eBay surfers for, you know, that stuff. And they've noticed that in the last couple of years, the sales of Coco 2s and 3s have gone up. Yeah, I guess that's possible because I went to the junkyard the other day to get a part for my car. And I couldn't believe how many people had wheelbarrows full of stuff that they were just going to resell <laughs> on eBay. So I guess it's the same, you know, they're like, oh, these Coco things are hot. I'll go find these things or whatever. No, what it is. Somebody comes in there, they see something <sighs> like Ultra Term. I mean, they'll, they'll see some ridiculous little cocoa thing and it's going for nine hundred dollars right they're going yeah. this person can get nine no the person never got nine hundred dollars <laughs> but they just see the fact that there was an auction for nine hundred dollars they're yeah, different right i mean and some of the cocoa books i've seen even on amazon listed at six seven hundred dollars yeah yeah you know what i do since i have a, a load of this stuff i usually call my wife over and i go hun Take a look at what this is selling for. She goes, we're rich. <laughs> Not yet. No, I'm still taking air. <laughs> yeah, you still, you have to sell it. You got to find this, the buyer, the sucker, whatever. Well, and the amount of the availability of color computers in the last couple of years too, because I remember prior to getting on Facebook, um, the Facebook community, I had been using the emulator probably since around 2008 and um, there was Coco3.com um, that oh. I would go on every once in a while. But when I was looking on eBay for color computers, man, it was like, pfft. 
it was impossible to find any. And then if you did, it was like, you know, $600 for like just the, just the computer itself. So it's just crazy how much support and everything and how the community has just exploded in the last few years. Well, I wondered if uh, someday we're going to go on eBay and there aren't going to be any. I'm sure the day will come. I'm sure. Maybe. Oh, they'll be just ten thousand dollars. Right, exactly. <laughs> that would be the same prices as Apple Ones are going for. Yeah, of, course, of course, if you want to get an inexpensive cocoa, you just go to a uh, cocoa fest and wait for the auction. Right. Yep. I went. I looked at Amigas too at one point too because I was kind of interested in those because I know Nick uses it. Um, I got a friend who lives in the city that was like lives and dies by Amigas. And yeah, those things are not not cheap right now. Not at all. I've never <laughs> seen a, a boot screen for any one of those. You've never even seen a boot screen, you said? Never. Nope. Yeah. Cause I've played with the Commodore 64 before. Eh. Not my not my cup of tea. Yeah, the only computer I saw other than Radio Shack stuff was a pet one time and a uh the the white Commodore, which one what do they call that? Big twenty. Yeah, Vic Twenty. My uh, brother-in-law had one, <clears throat> but that's it. Oh, uh, ninety-nine-four A. I had one of those for a short time. Uh, <laughs> my first doorstop. My my uh, a friend of mine had one, and he had a eight-foot table set up, and it started at one end and <laughs> ended at the other. He had the expansion. Yeah, yeah, did you Memory. That's funny. Yeah, I've got my old Coco set up here, and it's about three feet with a you know floppy drive on the side. But um, and then when you put the printer on, it's four feet wide table taken up just with the one. Yeah, I remember that when I was young too. We had a huge desk for all that stuff. Yeah, everything popped out the side of the back. <laughs> yeah. Has, has anybody here ever had an MM one? I did. You did. Yep. David Ladd still has one, I think. I sold mine for seven hundred back in uh, two thousand. What were they like? Were they cool? Eh, it was a pain. They didn't boot very good. They uh, you had to have a password in mine, and I had it written on the back so I wouldn't forget it because <laughs> uh, I didn't have, always have the documentation with it. But I, I did. Find, I still have the documentation for it, but the machine's gone. <laughs> The you saying the password was on the back reminded me. Uh, in yeah. on Thanksgiving, my father-in-law had us move his safe out of his house, and uh, <laughs> just a small, just a small thirteen by thirteen. And I pick it up to put it on the trunk, or on the truck, and the fu- <laughs> the the combination was written on the back side of it. <laughs> 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 like, okay, guess the stuff isn't that important. <laughs> Well, I remember at one computer meeting, a guy showed up with his equipment and everything, and I looked down at his monitor, and I immediately started grabbing all the post-its they had around the monitor. They were his passwords and credit card number. <laughs> what? Oh, wow. Shopping spree. I quickly put them together, folded them, handed to him, and said, don't ever, ever bring these to the meeting ever again. Right. <laughs> Because I saw somebody that looked like they were about ready to get out a pen, like they're going to write it down. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't believe the guy. 
credit cards back in the day too. Shrink and your and your your whole numbers sitting on, yep. on a yellow sheet of paper <laughs> for the whole world to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've got to be going, guys. This has been a, a long show. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you don't want to stay around for after talk. After dark, it's well, about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, pretty well. I, I might come back later, but I've got a few chores to do uh, in between. So that's why I was late. The chores. So yeah, mm-hmm. I have a new color computer sitting at the door. Maybe mm. you needed another one, Ron. One more. <laughs> at, Jeez, Ron. at the door. Always room for one more. He needed even higher. Should be the MC Ten at the door as a doorstop. There's some yep. occasions where I do give stuff away. You know, I'm not stingy. Hey, Nick, one last question before you leave. So you're uh, yep. focused on Rupert Rhythm right now? As opposed to <laughs> That's the Knight. moment, uh, a, a side trip, yeah. I, I know all about the side trips. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just looking really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Gunstar, so. That's all. Yeah, I will be going back. I'm, it's, a, it's only a temporary uh Templey side strip, uh, side uh, trip. So, do you, you find it hard, do, do you find it hard to um, keep going on a project? I mean, well, y- y- you do sometimes if you've been working on it. You do get a bit of a bit of a burnout. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have a side trip just to get away from it temporarily, and then you come back. Right. So, and that's my problem because I, I do all these side trips and then I find another side trip and, you know, 15 side trips later. I still <laughs> Well, and, and part of it for me, too, is the idea generation. Like if I could just put that on, you know, halt for a little bit, it would be much easier to focus on one thing. But as soon as you start getting into like a huge, a huge roadblock roadblock and a program that you're writing and you have this other idea that you could work on, um, that's what happens to me. Then I'll venture that way because I'm interested. But in the back of my mind, I'm still, you know, working the, the problem from the yeah. other program. But the the ideas just don't ever run out in my head. So I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna go do this for a bit. But they come yeah, in. Omnistar, Omnistar is pretty much stalled at the moment. Yeah. Oh. Because it doesn't have much of an ending, and I can't figure out what kind of an ending to put on it. You know, it needs something spectacular. So. Well, I think you got yeah. a while till anybody's going to get to the end of it. <laughs> so, you you can have a little hard. concert with some digitized uh, drum yeah. effects. Yeah. Yeah. I've well, got a spare tune. I don't want anymore. You want that? <laughs> have something rapidly yeah. flashing, and then we fall over, you know, from watching. Right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'll just crash the machine. There you go. All right, yeah, guys. Go. I'll better go. Okay. All right. See you later. I might see you later yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, as soon as, thinking, the, as soon as you get to the end, Rick, you could just have it do a, a cold restart on the cocoa. <laughs> right, I could do that. <laughs> it's, it's all for it's nothing. In there. <laughs> yes. With some gimme sparklies it, when it, when it crashes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Or I was thinking actually of uh, I, I was thinking of uh, toggling the uh, uh, the the cassette relay. Boy, there is nothing that'll make your heart stop like hearing the cassette relay click when it's not supposed to be reading a cassette because that usually means. <laughs> Your machine is totally crashed. Well, what you should do is tell them if they hear the clicking sound, look for smoke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you could tie it in with like certain glitches or something within the system, make something happen on the cocoa and then like tie it in with like maybe saying now the Omnistar has like reached into 
like give them the impression that the Omni Star is get taken up, starting to take over their Coco too, and that might right. be like lead into like a, you know, a sequel or something. Yeah, but wait, I have a Coco three. The closer you get to the end, uh, the more that it starts, it starts, you know, it, it starts off sort of taunting you, like, oh, a new user to the system. Well, you better behave yourself, there, pal. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it starts, you know, hey, what's going on? This is get, this is not funny anymore. This guy's, you know, getting too good. Just and then, you know, toward the, toward, the, toward the end, the, the messages that are that normally would be taunting you are getting more and more fragmented, like, oh, they've, they've really got some system problems going on here. <laughs> Rick, have you ever played the game Portal? Uh, I've, I've seen it, but no, I haven't played it. Because you are up against a computer and it... It, it, it lies to you. Yeah, it just lies to you. The fake is a lie. Yes, I love Glados. It's fake. Glados is marvelous. Yeah. Yes, that that game has the weirdest, snarkiest sense of humor ever. It's like it's one of the best. Oh yeah, remember that time when I almost killed you? Ha ha! That was really funny, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys, you ready to end this train wreck? Yeah, we better leave a bit of a gap before After Dark. So, <laughs> right? Are we going to have an outro? Just remember, if if Steve Stroberg, Steve, <laughs> you know, Strober. level one Steve, Strober. Strober. yeah, Stroberg, uh, if he finished Omni Star, you can too. <laughs> he did. True. He did. Is that going to be in the sales brochure? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't advertise sure that. I'm I'm have to to I wouldn't advertise that because people will go, this game's way too easy. Well, no, 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 no. Just say that he was able to finish the game without rage clicking almost. <laughs> almost. Def Com 4. Okay, I'll get out of your way so you can quit, you can end this show. <laughs> but you really shouldn't call the show a train wreck because Stevie wasn't here. Well, that's true. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad, no. Huh. He did launch it. All right. Well, I will go ahead and hit the outro. Anybody else need to say anything before we uh, hit the button? Nothing for me. Nope. nope. All right, cool. Everybody have a good day. And- <laughs> uh, <laughs> had to get one in there, didn't you? Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah, I got it. <sighs> <laughs> this concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer links needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, visit the Patreon link on our site at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, 
Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our best of episodes and bonus content. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Boyson Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N-Tech.com. Get your own switcheroo at CocoMan.biz and Cloud9 Technologies at Cloud, the number nine, tech.com. Coco Talk is hosted by Steve Strobridge. Co-hosts, technical directors, segment hosts and producers, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, Mark Overholzer, Ron Delvaux, and Jason Reichert. Production motivation, Steve Bjork. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Shalar. Mix, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people. And let's not forget a very special thank you to Roger Taylor for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. Thank you very, very much for everybody uh, joining this uh, very, very long, almost four-hour Coco Talk. Thanks, Curtis, for helping out. Thanks, when you say uh, very, very, we hear it. Your echoes the, back, uh, too. Guest. Eight times, times. Your echoes back there, Grant. Oh. So it must be something when you're sharing the <laughs> audio. All right, I'm hitting the button. Goodbye, Bye, everybody. Everyone.